I'm receiving a communication from the Earthbound ships. They have a message for the human race. Put it through. Let's hear it. Exterminate! 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 Who watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, it's Scott. Good to see Hello. you, or hear you, I guess. Yes, <laughs> you know, see, definitely, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can, you, we can definitely <laughs> see each other right now. Uh, but yes, no, welcome, welcome to September. Oh my god, how is it September? Um, uh, we're, we're, as... we're nearly done with our Doctor Who marathon, that's insane. Just felt like it yesterday. It is crazy. It, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it. Just yesterday, it felt like we, we just started the time meddler, and then now we're here. How? <laughs> yeah, it's like a blur. It is like a blur. Um, that we're, we're, we're suddenly already on David Tennant. As, you know, of course, if you don't know what we're talking about, all year we have been going through Doctor Who chronologically with the Doctors, from obviously the first Doctor, William Hartnell, all the way up to now. With David Tennant as the 10th Doctor as we look at the episode The Stolen Earth this week and Journey's End next week. And this episode first aired on Saturday, June 28th, which was a very, very upsetting (laughs) 15 years, two months and two days ago. Mm. Um, just, Just doesn't feel like it was that long. And like I was watching... Today, that we're recording this, I, I was watching the latest Game Grumps 10-Minute Power Hour mm-hmm. episode where they had they were playing with retro toys, and those retro toys were 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and I've never mm. felt older. Um, mm. <laughs> like, yeah, we we're getting up to about demographic, man, you know? 20 years yeah. ago was 2003. That's insane. That's when yeah. Doctor Who was announced to come back, 2003. That's mental. Yes. Twenty years ago, Tw- Russell T. Davis started Doctor Tw- Who. Yeah, it's it's getting it's becoming like I can remember existing twenty years ago, <laughs> um, which which is not 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 good. That's not good. <laughs> like, um, uh, I, I imagine I, like there's people listening to us who are like fifty years old <laughs> and are like, you guys are just being ridiculous right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm sure they went through the same thing when they oh, were yeah. living in the in the old and black and white days um, <laughs> when everything was black but, and white. You know, but yeah, yeah. As, as, as a kid, I genuinely yeah. believed when my mom told me that everything was in black and white. The TVs, magazines. She, obviously, she was referring to that, but I thought she meant everything was in black and white. Yeah. The entire yeah. world, yeah. <laughs> color didn't exist until the year 2000. Um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, at the time, the U.S. president was George W. Bush, and the U.K. prime minister mm. was Gordon, I don't know his middle name, Brown. Um, you know, it was certainly a time in politics. The early the early 2000s are such a weird era um, in the political sphere. They, they feel so foreign, yet vaguely familiar, and it's just kind of like, oh, this is where all the problems, like, they start <laughs> to get worse. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But could you guess, uh, Scott, oh boy. what <laughs> is the number one movie at the box office, June 28, 2008? What is raking in the big bucks? Okay, so it's summertime, so I'm presuming it must be some kind of family movie because, you know, school's just about to be off. You know, this is the final week or two of school, so it must be a family movie. Iron Man came out like a month ago. Like four weeks ago, so I don't think it would be still number one. So, what other movies came out in 2008? We have Kung Fu Panda and Madagascar Escape to the Jungle. Um, oh, I don't know, to be honest. Any hints? <laughs> am, I, am I in the ballpark? You, you, are, you are close... With family movie, mm-hmm. um, you you are close. You're close. Iron Man was in May. Yeah. So you are you are right about Iron Man being in May. Uh, we are coming up to the big summer blockbusters. Um, I will say that this movie is only number one for a week mm. in the cinema. It's it's only number one for a week, and it actually drops number one tomorrow on June twenty ninth. Um, to a, a probably a much more well-known movie. This is still, I, it's a well-known movie to me because I saw it as a kid, and I presume you must have seen it as a kid as well. Uh, um, just just uh, as you're speaking there, I'm thinking of Journey to the Center of the Earth that came out around this time. Journey to the Center of the Earth, if it did come out this time, was never number one at okay. the box office. Uh, um, this is more, this is more, uh, think, think... Uh, Mission Impossible. Think. Tom. Oh, think. Uh, Tropic Thunder. No. Ooh, no. Tropic Thunder is is uh number one in August. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> think more family, family, family. film. Family. Oh, yeah, film. I, I get. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> are you talking? Yeah, are you yeah. telling me why Tropic Thunder is not a family film? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how old the family is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, family film. Oh, Johnny English Returns? No, that's 2011. No. You are... Same idea. Same same core concept. Ah, so it's about a spy. Take that... Yeah, take that comedy family spy movie, make it American. Make it American. We roughly almost did this week when we did Turn Left, so almost around this time... Yeah, yeah. G-Force? It, I feel like we were talking about G-Force not, quite recently. It's we were not. talking... It's it's not a movie that's come up already. Okay. Um, Fuck. <laughs> as far as I can remember, anyway. It's oh. a movie that I'm certain... You must have seen it. <laughs> and you're so... It's got The Rock in it. It's got The Rock in it. Yeah. Uh, not as the main character. He's a side character. Oh, my God. I can't think of any rock movies. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of Anne Hathaway movies? Anne Hathaway, not really, no. Little Miss. <laughs> <laughs> With The Rock. <laughs> yes. 
Um, think. Oh, I don't want to just give it away. Think. <sighs> think. Who directed it? Think the. Ca- uh, that probably That's doesn't help question. either. Uh, probably just some generic family dr- director man. Peter Seagal. Who? <laughs> known, <laughs> known for such movies as Nutty Professor 2, Anger oh. Management, The Longest Yard. He did all, 50 First Dates. He did a lot of Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. Um, so he's in, he, it's kind of in the fam- Adam Sandler wheelhouse, are you saying? <laughs> I uh, I would say uh, no. Adam Sandler is is not. It doesn't really. It's the dumb. It's definitely mm-hmm. dumb, like an Adam Sandler comedy. But it's not that style of comedy. It's more like. Do you remember the Tuxedo comedy movie with Jackie Chan? Yes, I think it was literally vaguely. called Tuxedo. Yeah. It's kind of that because it's a spy thriller. You got it's a spy comedy family movie. Someone's screaming at the top of their lungs right now. <laughs> I'm uh, never gonna get this. <laughs> Uh, you might. It's as well got. Just... I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it more. It's got Steve. Steve Carroll in it. Steve Carell. Steve Carell in it. Is this get? No, it can't be get smart because we've already brought this up in the show. It is get smart. We already brought this up in the show, so you threw me off when you said we didn't already bring this up. <laughs> I said as far as I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll get a better memory. <laughs> June twenty second, two thousand eight is the week. Get smart is number one at the box office at the minute, uh, and it gets taken over next week, June twenty ninth, by Wally, uh, mm. and it just beat The Incredible Hulk, which was only in the box office for like two weeks or something at number yeah. one, which is crazy for a Marvel movie. The Incredible uh, Hulk. Iron Man as well. The Incredible Hulk came out in June. You're saying. June 15th, 2008, it was number one at the box office. That's insane, because Iron Man came out, like, two weeks before that. <laughs> Why yeah, you... Iron Man came out in May. Yeah. That's weird. I guess I guess it's um, because they're owned by two different studios. That's Universal trying to get um, yeah. up on the competition with... Mar- uh, sorry, Paramount did the first Iron Paramount. Man. Paramount. Back, back yeah. when... Back before everything was owned by Disney. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Did Paramount do Iron Man or did Paramount do Hulk? Uh, Universal did Hulk, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Universal. Yeah, because 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 Universal, Universal yeah, yeah. still kind of own the rights to Hulk. It's which is why we don't it's get a Disney solo now. Hulk movie. Yeah, yeah. But they 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 finally got it onto Disney, which is good because it's a decent movie. But how frustrating must that have been if you're like Kevin Feige? To be trying to come up with this MCU, and then one of the studios is like, "Yeah, and we're gonna make our movie compete with your other movie, <laughs> um, so that people don't get to see your thing that you're yeah, running to." Because in my head, Incredible Hulk came out in July. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, it came out in June. Number one in June. July is taken over massively by The Dark Knight. Mm, right. Uh, the The Dark Knight. Gee, Dark Knight what? is dominating. Um, what, what, a, what a year for superhero movies. Um, uh, <laughs> it's the, the beginning Downfall of the, society. The is, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't go on Twitter these days. It used to be transphobic stuff. And now all I see mm. is Zack Snyder fans talking about how uh, James <laughs> Gunn should bring back the Snyderverse. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I kind of actually no, I don't prefer the transphobic stuff, but <laughs> it's, it's all equally bad almost. <laughs> See, right now for me, whenever I go onto Twitter uh, or x.com, um, which every now and then I find myself hate scrolling through, <laughs> uh, I can o- I only get to use it for like five minutes before the app says that it can't update anymore. Um, 
So it's like, what's the point in using the app? Because it doesn't work. Um, mm, I've not had that cool. issue. It's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. <clears throat> it happens to me every time. I load up the app and then I'm scrolling it for like five, ten minutes, and it goes, "Oh, sorry, we can't, we can't retrieve anything right now." Oops. Mm, so I, on your, it's it it's like it's our fault. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I kind of need to update the app because I'm on such an old version. It's still called Twitter. But my <laughs> version of Twitter doesn't have the thing where it extends the number of characters you can use in a post. So sometimes posts oh, wow. just get cut off. So I, I don't know what the, the later half of a post is sometimes. But at the same time, I kind of just prefer it being called Twitter. I, I don't understand yeah. why. I don't understand how it's still not called X.com because it's still got the Twitter domain. It's still referred to as Twitter by most people like... I don't think Elon yeah. Musk really thought it through, but whatever. Yeah, no, it's, yeah I, I mean, it, you know, it's the downfall of the website. If you go to x.com, it do, it just redirects you to twitter.com mm. and then loads up x. It doesn't even, it like, what if you go to xxx.com? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but that is, that's all I've got for on this day. I want to keep it brief because this is going to be a, a longer episode. So I just wanted to be like, let's cover the box office, talk about movies for 10 yeah. minutes and see, you know, before we jump in uh, to the writer's corner for this episode, Scott. Yeah. So yeah, as uh, Matthew said, this year we're doing every Doctor Who in, well, every Doctor in chronological order. I'd be insane to do every single episode of Doctor Who <laughs> in, in one year. <laughs> yeah. But, in one, uh, yeah. We'd Just be dead. Watching three times speed, it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, why did I choose the Stolen Earth slash The Journey's End? I think it's because it's probably the biggest, it is definitely the biggest of the David Tennant episodes. And plus, it ties heavily into what we're going to see in the anniversary specials this year. Because I have some fan theories that I will share with you once we get into those scenes, but... Um, do I you can't have... wait, can't wait to to be talking and then go to move on from a scene and you to go, oh wait, uh, <laughs> and, and, and call me back because I, I don't know what these points are. So I just I just ramble until Scott tells me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you have any memories about you watching this episode live? I do. Uh, I remember watching this episode live and being like on the edge of my seat like yeah. i was i'm eight years old when this comes out so you know prime <laughs> age for watching doctor who and i've been watching it since i was like five so like you know doctor who is like just help like helped shape my brain mm -hmm. as i'm growing up um and so this is this is edge of the seat my entire family is into doctor who at the minute uh, as the show goes on my family will drop off and it will yeah. just become a show <laughs> i watch on my own uh but right now this was this was peak whole family sit and watch doctor who uh what time did this air seven ten past seven after dinner uh so it's like after dinner everybody sits down we watch doctor who on bbc one remember when you used to watch live tv god, with your yes. family what's <laughs> crazy <laughs> god i think the last time i actually watched live tv was probably like every christmas day i guess is the last time i watched yeah. live tv but not really watch it it's more in the background we hear the king's speech in uh, we catch the last half of like top of the pop Christmas, but it's never the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But like, like this was this was like appointment viewing 
for my family every week after dinner we were watching Doctor Who and this I remember this finale being like a, a big one um, with whole family yeah absorbed in it and talking about it and donna is still i think my mom's favorite companion or one of my mom's favorite companions uh she absolutely loved donna um and this was heartbreaking oh god yes um yeah funny you say that because this is the exact same year i get my mom into doctor who just at the start of season four my mom was like hmm I quite fancy watching this, and when she started watching season four of me from the very first episode of season four, so obviously when we got to uh, Stolen Earth and Journey's End, I had to fill her in. A lot of the blanks were lost to her, like who <laughs> who Rose is, who Martha is, who Captain Jack is. But either way, I think this episode made her even more hooked because after this, she really wanted to watch Torchwood with me. She wanted to watch Sarah Jane with me. She wanted to watch doctor who from season one so it she wasn't lost she just wanted to watch more of it which is interesting because when you come into a franchise like this and it relies heavily on past things like a marvel movie for example and you're watching infinity war and here you have to watch 18 movies before it to understand you're kind of it's a daunting (laughs) task isn't it (laughs) it's why marvel movies are kind of going downhill at the moment well, I think it's like, it's the same issue the comics ran into, isn't it? Mm. You know, where if you got into the comics early, you're like, wow, these comics are great. And you just keep, you catch up, you watch, you read every release as it comes. and But then flash forward 20 years and you're like, oh, cool, Marvel <laughs> comics. I can't wait to get into those. Here's 1,500 of them that released in the past five years. Uh, 10% of them aren't canon. Some of them take place in a different universe. Here's all this, 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 and this. <laughs> and it just becomes too much. Uh, and that's where I think the MCU is at the minute, where if you yeah. weren't into it before, getting into it now is almost impossible. And, I, you know, it could lead them to doing what they do in the comics, which is oh, reboot God, the universe. Yes. You know, um, I can see a, I can see in a few years' time, maybe at the end of this phase, whenever they finish this Kang, if they're even doing Kang anymore, storyline, then be like, oh, time for an MCU reset. Let's mm-hmm. go to a different universe. Let's have a refresh, you know, like DC and Marvel do all the goddamn time in the comics. Why not do it in the movies? I mean, DC's literally just about to do it <laughs> because they're every, you know, the Snyderverse is dead. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm actually looking forward to what DC are going to do from now on. But with Marvel, I'm kind of up in the air about it. Some things I'm excited about, like uh, Loki season two is coming out soon. And um, I can't think of anything else yeah. off the top of my head. That's about it, really. <laughs> um, um, God, yeah, I don't even know what the next Marvel thing coming out is. is Loki <laughs> season two the is Mar- that the next one. Loki season two is out in October, so next month. And then it's Echo, Christ. which is a spin-off of Loki. You know, Echo is about the deaf lady, <laughs> and um, right, yeah. Ever's the Marvels, which is a sequel to Captain Marvel, and also a sequel yeah, yeah. to <laughs> a million other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just so hard to get into Marvel. I'm mostly caught up. I mostly know what I'm. I actually not really. I'm really been following that hard for recently, but I am entirely caught up um, uh-huh. because I feel like if I if I stop then I will not continue. Did you watch and Secret Invasion? I didn't, but I did <laughs> watch a recap up. of the whole thing. Yeah, I watched the recap <laughs> of the whole show. Um, so I didn't I didn't need to. My dogs are barking. Nice. Uh, hearing us trash talk Marvel. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I watched I watched a recap of Secret Invasion. Yeah, same here. Uh, that 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 told me everything that happened because I was like the first episode didn't hook me, and <laughs> mm-hmm. then it turns out because it's a bad show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like... They they tried to do a political thriller where there's no thrill. <laughs> yeah. Or politics. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I'd recently tried to start the Amazing Spider-Man run of comics. I'm in about ten issues in. They decide to do an X-Men crossover event, which mm. brings back plot threads from like t- from the '90s. But I really have to catch mm. up on, and, and it's like there's so much shit going on with everything at the moment. <laughs> like, yeah, how am I supposed to follow it, this? <laughs> It's whenever whenever I've gotten into comics or like I've read comic series, it's never been really Marvel or DC comics. Mm. I've read a few I've read a few Batman series because I really like Batman. Um but I've never really bothered to read any Marvel series because they do stuff like that where I'm like that's too daunting and I much prefer to read like an independent comic series yeah. or like a little like story that's like not in the MC the Marvel comics or the DC comics and it's just like here's our own little thing. Um because that's way more manageable and comics are great. They're still like so yeah. it's fun to read them. But yeah, no, the Marvel ones, Christ. But, you know, with, you know, going back to Doctor Who, this episode is a big crossover event that kind of expects you to watch the last 50-odd episodes of Doctor Who, the last 26 episodes of Torchwood and 11 episodes of Sarah Jean Adventures, which they were up to at this time. And I watched all of them, so I knew every little Easter egg and reference to what happened previously. But even if you just watch this not knowing what's going on, I think you get a fair grip of what is happening. It's you're not completely lost about what's happening. So I think Russell D. Davis really did such a great job with this episode. A few little bits and pieces yeah. here and there which we're probably gonna be lost about, but you know, it's a it's a really it's a really good episode of um, the end of a review, that's it. Bye. <laughs> I think I think I think it is also like as much as it is like you need to have seen every other episode of doctor who of this new run and like all these spin-offs and stuff like that i think it's also like it's the show being confident in itself Mm. and russell t davis being confident in it because this is such a smash hit you know like this is getting tens of millions of people watching it every single week like he's confident like okay everybody like most of the country that tunes in to watch this is going to know what's happening because Doc, like Doctor Who is just in the air. Like everybody is watching Doctor Who. Everyone is watching it with their families. Everybody is talking about it. There's Doctor Who magazines. Kids are dressing up by it. It's like Doctor Who mania all over again um, when the show came back. So I think it's just Russell T. Davis being confident that like, haha, I can get away with doing this, you know? Also, just the fact that Russell T. Davis was so amazing at building up this universe. You know, he he approved all the scripts for Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures. He wrote notes to the producers of those shows, Chibnall being one of them. And it's funny how far Chibnall has come, you know, from Torchwood to now kind of being the person who makes Doctor Who less popular than ever, but never mind. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, one of the big decisions of making this episode, like one of the biggest feeling episodes, biggest episodes ever, really, was the fact that in 2009 we weren't going to get a full series of Doctor Who. So he kind of wanted us to kind of go out on a bang so we didn't um, feel like the show was missed too much. And, you know, this this 2009 gap was planned all the way back in 2006, which is 
kind of wild to think about. <laughs> it, it, I can't I can't think of how they could have planned the 2009 specials all the way back then. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Like, and it's again, it makes me sad that um, like uh, <laughs> Moffat and that didn't continue this connected universe yes. idea. This this I hate universe so much as a word, but this universe. <laughs> Um, because what Russell managed to make with series one to four is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like with continuity, stakes, characters that recur and come back and like change and develop and the world grows with them is amazing. And then when season five starts and it's a different show, yes, like, (laughs) you know, it's still great. It's amazing. I absolutely love Matt Smith's run and Moffat's run and everything like that. But it is not in the same, like it feels like a different universe because suddenly no one remembers anything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that made me kind of less into Doctor Who around 2011 when I started realising there's not really any recurring characters to go back to. There's no really not any humanity to these characters. You know, the fact that Rose and her mum were together in multiple episodes and multiple scenes were really good for the show because you feel a human connection to rose but but rory's dad showed up once (laughs) showed up once yes (laughs) like in the final (laughs) season (laughs) but yeah you just never feel any kind of human sense of like history to what amy pond goes through with her day-to-day life you don't even see her parents until like the wedding episode and we're just extras, yeah. basically. There's no yeah, character I could, I, to I, I, I couldn't tell you what they are, who they are, <laughs> like anything about them. Um, so for this episode, Russell D. Davis was able to secure extra special effects money for this episode. He said the BBC jumped through hoops to make him happy. And, you know, if this was your number one program on Saturday evenings, you would jump through hoops to just to make Russell D. Davis happy and give him everything he desires. Like... <laughs> yeah, just, just a. This this episode is huge. So many guest stars and CGI. You know, <laughs> it's mental. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, you know, we talked about this when we talked about the series one finale uh, with um, like Bad Wolf and the Parting of Ways, where it felt like a blockbuster yeah you know this is again a doctor who finale feeling like a blockbuster like mm-hmm. this is like all your this is like you know avengers before the avengers all yes. your favorite heroes are here to fight the villains um it was like and i think that's also what russell t davis did great like his finale like in series three with the master coming back and series two with the army of ghosts and doomsday and stuff they always felt big yeah they felt high stakes and they felt like oh crap this is this is like edge of my seat viewing now the question is 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 do we feel that way because we were children when we watched this you know mm. and then by the time that moffat's era came around we became teenagers and so the finales just they weren't as big or as important because we were edgy and cool um but you know series one to four the finales feel huge and massive because we have this memory of them being yeah. huge and massive when we were kids watching it you know yeah, I, I think um, Russell's era feels bigger and badder because a lot of them are personal to the characters we kind of mm-hmm. get to know throughout these seasons. A lot of them are like end of the world stuff. Whereas yeah. I think Stephen Moffat was more of a fan of like the bigger sci-fi concepts 
you know like yeah like um the big bang and the pandora opens was such a huge time travel concept episode like that's that's not really personal it's more sci-fi than anything else that's that's a really good way of 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 putting it actually with the uh you know russell t davis being centered on the character while Moffat centered on the concept yeah um and i like both i like both yeah uh, but they do both they both elicit a different emotion for sure you know like with with the centering on the character like russell does it becomes like edge of my seat i'm so worried all these characters are about to die um because i believe and i'm invested in their stakes whereas with moffat it becomes edge of the seat this is such a fascinating episode yeah like what like i'm like at like what is going on this is amazing this is the most awesome thing i've ever seen uh which you know they're two very different emotions but they achieve basically the same thing um although i just said that i i'm thinking of um Peter Capaldi's season 10 final that's very much character based especially around the master who you know has been a good guy essentially for that season 10 final and then is tempted by her past or future or maybe (laughs) I don't know yeah don't worry about it Uh, yeah yeah that's true that's true um it's not saying Moffat doesn't or can't do character stuff because you know he's also did the husbands of river song yeah um which is just one of the best episodes ever of Doctor Who. But in the same, you know, in that same season, he did Heaven Sent as a part one of a part two finale, which is sci-fi concept out the balls. That's the time loop episode um, where Capaldi is trapped inside that thing and has to keep punching the wall to get out. You know, still character stuff in it with Capaldi, you know, trying to find his people and stuff like that. Um, But very much like this is a cool concept idea. Um, and then I guess God, we have I love, to. I love Capaldi's era so goddamn much. Not it's not so to, not to make this any longer. I guess we have to also mention what Chibnall did, and I don't think he really knew what he wanted out out of a series final because the series series, series, series eleven uh, final series was just such a throwaway episode. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have a final. Um, and then you I, have... I, I, you could maybe count you could maybe count resolution as the final like BBC does, but I don't. I don't count specials as the final. No. Like, the final is episode 10, yeah. and that is just a regular goddamn episode. And um, then, of course, uh, the series 11, sorry, series 12 final was The Timeless Children, which felt more like a monologue <laughs> than a final. Yeah, it was not, not a good, not a good final. And then, obviously, with the, um, the Vanquishers at the end of Flux... <clears throat> where no answers got given and it was hilariously bad um yeah, uh, yeah so like moffat but like not moffat sorry chibnall i chibnall's errors i don't think you can analyze in the same way yeah as moffat and russell's because it's there's so many different problems with his era and his writing is all over the place and the show's budget is all over the place yeah. and like you know the way the bbc were asking for episodes is all over the place so it's like it's the show's too much of a mess in yeah. series 11 to 13 to really talk about in an analytical way and also because it's not as good <laughs> <laughs> oh we really gave a final season a good try like for those first we four were episodes, so hopeful we were, we were so, so hopeful I was just thinking the other day, remember how Swarm revealed himself to the Doctor as, like, an old enemy before yeah, we so, she had her like, memories? This is cool. And we were like, oh my yeah. god, this concept is so awesome. He knows all of the Doctor's um, yeah. moves because he's, his old, he's her oldest enemy. I mean, nothing ever came from that. Never came of it. 
never came of it. Yeah, and we had the Doctor's mom and the Angels episode that was really good and had no payoff. Oh God, <laughs> God! What well, I I I wish I could relive Flux for the first time because I don't know if I'm ever going to experience that like frustration again. You know, yeah. it's 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 insane. It's so insane how bad it is it's incredible oh god remember, um, remember i've seen i've seen flux twice i can't wait to watch it a third time because it's yeah. baffling <laughs> remember like... how we said the first episode was the best opening since like series six. in ages <laughs> yeah in ages um, <laughs> oh dear and also yeah. like it does it does have one of the best cliffhangers uh, even though it doesn't get resolved properly with the doctor turning into a weeping angel but yeah they did it for a joke <laughs> Yeah, because they did it because it was a ha <laughs> funny way of transporting her. Yeah, um, um, yeah, but going back to the stolen earth, this episode, yeah. <laughs> this two-parter is directed by the amazing Graham Harper, who we absolutely fell in love with when we did uh, the Caves of Androzoni earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Like we were yes. blown away by that episode, and it feels That's like he episode. was a perfect choice for this episode because. Stolen Earth is such an ambitious episode to basically, again, cross over all of Doctor Who media. And, you know, it's just so many characters and there's so much going on in this episode. You really have to get a good pace around it because this episode just never stops. And at the same time, you're never lost about what's going on. It's just, it feels like a simple story, but it's got so, the pace is just so fast in this episode. It's incredibly paced. Yeah, it is. It is a quick episode for sure. It also, you know, it it has that that classic Who vibe, you know, being directed by a classic Who director of here's a million things at once. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it it feels very Here's a scene for five seconds. (laughs) Here's a five second scene. Um, Yeah, this is probably the most returning characters to the show since The Five Doctors, which was an anniversary special. I guess you could also say Dimensions in Time had the most returning characters as well, but that doesn't really count. Uh, Good old Dimensions in Time. (laughs) Yeah, best episode ever. Um, So I I, I kind of consider this to be almost be the... Uh, the show's 45th anniversary because it's the closest thing that airs to the 45th anniversary of the show kind of you know it, it just has mm-hmm. it's just basically a love letter to uh, uh, Russell D. Davis's era um, so this episode was set to film in January and they nearly lost Rose Tyler because she had planned to go on a honeymoon with her new husband Lawrence Fox Rose. around this time <laughs> so yeah, what a cool guy! What a cool guy! What a cool marriage and a cool guy! I, I bet they're going to last forever. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's kind of funny how she starts her Doctor Who career, uh, getting a divorce, and then she ends it by marrying like one of the worst people alive. Mm, yeah, yeah. He's a really cool guy. He's a really cool guy. Remember when he ran for mayor? Yeah. <laughs> good, good times. <laughs> But luckily, um, they decided to film in spring instead, so it, he, she went to her on her honeymoon. I'm sure she had an amazing time with her new husband. and uh, no, no mistakes were made when we filmed this episode in like February or March, so uh, we got around it, which is good, because I can't imagine this episode not having Rose Tyler as like a central hook, because the Rose Tyler 
cameos this season were mental. Every time she popped up on screen, I was like, "Doctor, I re- look behind you." <laughs> I I remember like I remember that like shock and being like, "Oh my god!" Every time Rose showed up, like every like when at the end of whatever episode it is, when um you see Rose like staring in the distance, mm-hmm. like I remember that just like just jumping out my seat, being like, "Holy! Cr- oh my god!" Like you know, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, we love, I like to talk about how the newspapers report these kind of things. And the Daily Star, again, leaked that everyone was coming back in October 2007, which I, I can't understand how they got their leak, but everyone was coming back and they leaked it, which is mental. They also leaked the Big Brother stuff from like the Series 1 final. So I guess we need to start looking at the Daily Star as like the most reliable leaker. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe Russell T. Davis himself feeds them the information. Yeah, maybe. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it does build up hype when you hear about, you know, Sarah Jane yeah. is coming back, Rose Tyler is coming What's, back, Martha is thing, coming back. The, the thing with the leaks especially is casual general audience don't listen or look for them. So the only people that are looking at the leaks are your hardcore fans, which yeah. get even more excited. They get even more excited by the leaks and the spoilers and things like that. So there's no harm in leaking out a few bits of info here and there to get the like your core base of fans excited um, because your casual audience is coming anyway. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so on December 10th, 2007, Russell D. Davis is given the deadline of January 7th, 2008 to get both parts done, or mostly done. Uh, he is also given the deadline of February 18th, 2008, uh, which is near impossible for the Christmas special. Uh, at one point, Julie got, so he's, he has to get deadline of February 18th for the Christmas special, which... He, he finds hard to get around to. Like, there's one point where Julie Gardner suggests maybe we skip over a Christmas 2008 special. Because, you know, after working on getting this FX budget, he'd only have like three weeks to write the Christmas special, which is so difficult. <laughs> like, I can't imagine just <laughs> how much he had to write during this period. Because, you know, after he. Uh, to jump ahead a little bit, after he wrote the Christmas special, he also had to write the five episodes of Torchwood series three, which he he never got a break around this time. It's insane he he didn't work himself to like a heart attack or something. <laughs> Man just loves writing, just but, loves it. But yeah, he was kind of excited about the fact that maybe he wouldn't have to write a two thousand and eight Christmas special after all. But then he was like, I, d- I don't want to disappoint the BBC because it's a big event for their Christmas TV ratings. And he kind of has the point that Christmas, Christmas hasn't felt the same since Doctor Who left. I'm looking forward to this year's Doctor Who yes. Christmas special. This is, I've been saying it for years. I know, saying I know. it for years. <laughs> it's, like, it's not Christmas unless Doctor Who is on the TV. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes it Christmas. Oh, I'm 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 looking forward to recording a Christmas Day special this year with you, feeling just slightly to, in a food it coma. Needs be, <laughs> it needs to be a bad episode. It's not Christmas <laughs> if it's a good episode. It needs to be bad. <laughs> um. So speaking of Christmas, uh, Russell Davis spends Christmas of 2007 working himself so hard he winds up getting ill and having to cancel going to Billy Piper's wedding. I'm sure Lawrence Fox was very upset by that. (laughs) (laughs) He had to cancel New Year's plans with his boyfriend. He he just had so much to do. I I just can't imagine that amount of stress, you know? 
because you're you're in charge of the BBC's number one program, and you have deadlines. Tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was also, yeah. you know, he was also getting to the point where he's criticizing his own work, because he was like, "Oh, this this line is cuttable. I think this line is shit." Um, he thought the absolute was going to be been... shit in total. Like, it must have been like imagine the the stress of. You are you are solely responsible mm-hmm. for the number one show in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> you know you you are you are responsible for the one thing that almost every family is going to be watching on Saturday night. Like yeah, I'm like you know, and that yeah. that's all on your shoulders. That'd and be like insane. I've had writers block, and I'm sure you've had writers block, but we're not working towards this kind of deadline, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. We do, we don't have this much pressure on ourselves. And There's not ten million people waiting to see yeah. what we're about to write. Yeah, and also Russell D Davis around this time just felt like he had a complete mental breakdown. Almost, he just felt like he was um, letting all his loved ones down by being too busy with Doctor Who and not being able to spend time with him. I've heard stories of like I think Moffat also says this when you take over Doctor Who. You have no free time left because all you have to do is Doctor Who production meetings, special effects meetings, <laughs> casting calls. Like there's no which break. is it's it's crazy that having been through that stress, Russell T Davis is coming back. Yeah, but you know the thing he, is, he's like, oh yeah, no, I want to come back <laughs> and I want to make it bigger than it was last time. Mm. <laughs> but, the thing, but the thing is, I think God's why he chose to do nine episodes a year, eight episodes of like a series, and then a Christmas special. Yeah. Nine episodes is so much more manageable than fourteen episodes because fourteen episodes is insane, and that's also he's also like two years ahead at this point. I reckon he is going to be working on series sixteen before series 14 ever airs like he's going to be so far ahead. yeah he's done he's done such a great job of like like this this like what like how long is it be, like you know it's like a just less than a year off isn't it yeah um but he's been he's been writing because we well god we were talking about russell t davis coming back to the show and writing episodes ages ago yeah um, he got announced in september 2021 which is yeah so long ago <laughs> Yeah, like that's that's such a that's such a crazy long prep time, um, for, for uh, writing. It's it's, yeah. it's it's going to be nothing but the benefit for the show. And we know, like three or four months ago, he said he basically had half of series fifteen written. So he's he's probably almost finished series yeah. fifteen by now. Mental to think about how far he is, which is. I'm I'm sure a lot less pressure on him, so I hope I I hope he doesn't have a heart attack. <laughs> it's it's really frustrating. I want to get him on the show so I can badger him about what happens. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, and be like, well, just tell me what happened, like off air. Uh, just tell me what happens and and all these. What have you got planned? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so by January fifth, two thousand and eight, he's basically finished draft one of his script. And he's finished two days before he was supposed to hand in scripts for both episodes. So he he also can't get part two in on time, which is a shame because he, he you know, just reading the writer's tale, which is a book he did with Benjamin Cook, which is like a series of email correspondence between the two men. Just reading how many heartaches he went through to work on this show. 
Like, it's insane just the amount of emails where he's like, oh, I just had a shit day where I couldn't write anything. I feel sad. And now I'm eating a frozen lasagna, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, just, just, yeah, just amazing the fact that we got Doctor Who at all and to this quality as well. And I'll I'll tell you more yeah. stories about the writing process of next week's episode when we get there. But yeah, that's that's the story of how episode one was written. And we're forty minutes into this podcast, insane. We are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's okay because the episode is only forty minutes long, so that means that we'll you know it'll only take forty minutes to talk about it. Surely. <laughs> oh yeah, let's just turn this into an audio commentary. <laughs> uh, right. You're right. Uh, and anyway, yeah, let's jump in. Let's jump into to the stolen earth, uh, and actually talk about the episode, shall we? We've lost him. No, 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 no. There's another signal coming through. There's someone else out there. Hello? Can you hear me? Rose. Your voice is different, and yet its arrogance is unchanged. The episode begins with a rush. Like, it immediately begins with the TARDIS arriving and David Tennant and, um... Uh, oh my god. What's her name? Holy Catherine crap. Tate. <laughs> there we go. Kath- David Tennant and Catherine Tate running out of the TARDIS um, and staring at a milkman. Uh, because this episode obviously is taking place, like, essentially immediately after yeah. Turn Left. Uh, and we cover Turn Left earlier this year last year was um, it last year we covered it cover left? probably like late last year cause... oh my god that's upsetting that yeah we, yeah because we wouldn't have done it this year why would we have done it this year because we've been doing 
but Doctor Who in chronological order. Hang on, I'm going to find out exactly how long ago. But yeah, Turn Left, another excellent episode written by uh, Russell D. Davis and directed by Graham Harper. And yeah, this episode, I always expect this episode to have a previously on. Because the way it just starts out straight off the bat is kind of wild. Because, you know, if you tune into this episode, not watching last week's episode, you're completely lost about what we're talking about. Doctor Who, Doctor Who and the Multiverse of Madness, Turn Left, (laughs) Uh was episode 55 of the podcast (laughs) and came out on the 17th of June 2022. So been over a year. That's insane. It feels like just just yesterday we talked about it. (laughs) It's been over a year since we covered that episode. Such an incredible episode. (laughs) That is that's crazy that it's been that long. And you know, um, the week before that, it was um, not, sorry, not the week before that in the podcast, but the week before that for the show, it was midnight. So Russell T. Davis wrote four amazing episodes of a show in a row. Yeah, God damn it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Turn left. We covered absolutely ages ago. But go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear our thoughts on it. It's called Doctor Who and the Multiverse of Madness. I think it's a very good episode. Um, and yeah. a fantastic title, I'll just say. Fantastic title. Um, 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 so re- relevant at the time. So, yeah, Milkmen exist in the Doctor Who universe, which is kind of wild to me. And it's a full, I mean, they, it's, it's a full um, yeah. thing of milk he's got. That's milk for the entire city, basically, almost. You know? Yeah. Like, that's a like, lot of milk. You know, milkmen are still a thing. Mm-hmm. Um uh and it's it's very much a uk thing if you're not from the uk and you don't know what we're talking about a milkman is a man that delivers milk it's a very specific <laughs> job he only delivers milk and it comes in a glass bottle mm. and he leaves it at your doorstep why he does this is one of life's mysteries <laughs> um but yeah no there's still like yeah i know i remember being a, I, as a kid i don't think i knew anybody that got milk delivered yeah. to their door it was it was like a thing that my mom told me was a thing when she was a kid um i mean it, it makes it made it, it made more sense for like the 1950s where supermarkets yeah. weren't really a thing you know yeah uh but it as a as an adult man living in a small village at the minute um there's a few houses here that get milk delivered to their door there's there is there's a few old people that still and they are definitely old people that still get milk delivered to their door in a little glass bottle. And I'm like, mm. who's doing that? Who's the guy that does that? Well, I, I, I guess you, I guess it makes you know? sense in remote cities or remote villages where, um, you know, an elderly 70-year-old man isn't necessarily going to be able to get out every day to go to the yeah. shop to get a pint of milk. So, um, yeah. so I, I googled this, and apparently milk, milkmen still exist in London. And thanks to hipsters, we're doing all right. So hipsters apparently are the people <laughs> who um, use Fair. the services of milkmen. <laughs> Fair enough. And Fair um, enough. the doctor uh, goes to the milkman and says, "You sir, what day is this?" And the milkman says, "It's Christmas Day, sir." You know, it's 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 it. No, I'm joking. It's it's a Christmas Carol thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he, the milkman says it's Saturday. David Tennant is like, "Oh, I love Saturdays." get it because it's the day the Doctor Who is on. <laughs> then he looks at the camera and he yells at you, what day is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure every time uh, Doctor was upset when Doctor Who moved from it, Saturday to Sunday. <laughs> I, I know I was. Um, but 
you know, they, they get all excited because, like, Rose is basically, they're like, oh, we're going to be able to get Rose back. And they go back into the TARDIS and, uh, you know, Donna's like, aren't you excited that Rose is coming back? And the Doctor's like, oh, yeah, I'm very excited. And then there's, like, a classic Doctor Who jig where everyone's like, ah, because, uh, like, something made a noise. Um, yeah. <laughs> they look outside uh and suddenly they're in space but the doctor's like wait we haven't moved we're not in space the you know where we are we are in space but like we haven't moved the planet earth has moved and then we start uh we get getting reintroduced to everyone that we've fallen in love with over the last four series and it's it's like it's both like a trip down nostalgia lane and the show being like hey look at this look at this look at this with like yeah. fan service everywhere with all these fan favorite characters coming back but at the same time it's the series finale like finale ugh, series final it's the you know Russell T Davis is going to be leaving like this is this, it feels like a hurra- last hurrah for the show where it's like remember all your favorites um as as we get introduced back to Martha in also New also York. the fact that Earth moved is something you'd be thinking about like how would the Sarah Jane Adventure show deal with this or how would Torch would deal with this because every time there's an alien invasion you just keep on wondering where's Captain Jack what is he doing right now <laughs> and you know this episode kind of answers it oh yeah we're, we're all experiencing the same thing at the same time which is magical but at the same time I think having all these companions in this episode kind of ruins it for like future episodes, basically. You know, I it's the same. I mean, it's the same problem that the MC like yes. bringing it back to the Marvel conversation we've been having. It's the same conversation, isn't it? Where like in Ant Man or in like one of the like Spider Man movies or something mm. like that. It's like why why haven't you just why don't you just get Thor? Yeah. Why don't you just why, where where's where's Captain Marvel right now? Where's all the other Avengers that are on the planet? Like where is everybody? Why is nobody helping um, the Eternals as a giant robot comes out of the ocean floor? You know why yeah. is why is nobody even talking about that happening? Um, <laughs> I did happen. I didn't know that. That's a movie I've never yeah. seen, but I've seen the end shot of like the giant robot and yeah, nobody yeah. in the MCU mentions it. It's nobody fu- nobody it's talks mental. about it. Is there gonna yeah, be an Eternals too? I don't. I would doubt it. Uh, it, it didn't. It was not a well-performing movie. Um, but you know, it's one of those things yeah. where it's like, try not to think about it. Just don't worry about it. They're they're away right now. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I don't. You know, this this is. I don't think this ruins it so much. But yeah. I do like. You know, we were watching this, and I was like, "What do you think Dan's doing? Like, you know, <laughs> like you know, where, where's where's all the other characters? All the other yeah. companions? What are they doing right now?" I think that was part of the reason why uh, Rus- uh, sorry, Moffat decided to do like a hard reboot of the universe in series 5 because you know the episode after the story after this story is uh, the next Doctor where there's a giant Cyberman wandering around Victorian London I think Moffat <laughs> lists that as the reason why it doesn't really work for you know um, it doesn't really work for this universe to have the same continuity as a ru- a Russell T. Davis era because that's a lot of established lore. You kind of want a new audience to get yeah. into the show because if a companion remembers what happened before, yeah, it's it, it's complicated. It's it's a lot. <laughs> I get. I yeah. I understand. I understand Moffat's reasoning completely, yeah. and it makes sense. Like it, you you're taking over a show. You want it to be your show. You know, you want to shape it around your identity and your writing mm-hmm. and your ideas. You don't want to have to worry about what was already pre-established. Um, 
which at the same time is kind of what makes it exciting with Russell T. Davis coming back and doing the MCU style. Here's some spin-offs that I can oversee and have other people in charge. Because you know, if he takes over the Kevin Feige position yeah. of the Doctor Who universe, it could it could create for an interesting, uh, bigger scope than just one show idea. Um, and what I've got in my notes kind of continues this conversation because. Uh, we we visit Marfa in New York, which apparently has a unit base. We'll talk about that later, yeah. I guess. But Russell D. Davis wants to break of all the companions being found in the UK. So moving Marfa to New York sounded great to him. And it was one point of the script writing. He wanted New York to be completely destroyed by the Daleks. And Marfa would be teleported to England or somewhere else for the use of uh, the Indigo Project, whatever it's called. And then Russell D. Davis backed out of this idea of destroying New York because he didn't want Stephen Moffat to deal with having to address the destruction yeah. of New York in season five and beyond. And then, you know, Russell D. Davis decided to go, oh, what if the Statue of Liberty was a weeping angel? <laughs> what if- <laughs> that's what Moffat did, not Russell D. Davis. <laughs> I know, but yeah. that's like yeah. the most insane plot point that he ever introduced. <laughs> in a it's city where no one breath. sleeps... Somehow a weeping yeah, angel yeah. is very and moves but, around. Because <laughs> no one looks up. That's the other thing about New York. No one sleeps, but no one looks up. That's why <laughs> Spider-Man can get away with it. Um, but, you know, it's one of those... Like, that's... I really like Angels Take Manhattan, but that is mm-hmm. the biggest issue with it. Yeah. Like, the the, 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 the the it feels like that was, like, a studio note. Like, I can't... Like, what? it doesn't even do anything in the episode, you know? Like. Yeah, so I, I don't think I've revisited Angels Take Manhattan since it first aired, or close to when it first aired. So wow. that's definitely the biggest takeaway I get from the episode. Maybe I'll like it if I go back to revisit it. I guess we'll have I to really base... like the characters. I really like yeah. the character stuff in that episode. I guess we'll have to revisit it at some point. But um, also, just going back to the thing of the shared universe and connecting the dots... You know, after this episode, Torchwood Series 3 comes out, and the big it's a big mini-series. It sounds oxymoronic. Yeah, big mini-series. But yeah, it's a mini-series. It's a five-day event where the children of Earth are basically are basically channeled through a big alien who channels through them and all the kids on earth are like oh yeah uh, we are we are coming and the, ch- and the children of earth are about to be eaten by this big alien creature and the entire time i'm watching torchwood children of earth i'm thinking what are the sarah jane adventures kids doing right now <laughs> how are they <laughs> reacting with all of this you know yeah like, what's yeah. what's going on <laughs> I'd love to see that episode of Sarah Jane Adventures. You know, that'd be great. <laughs> and another reason why uh, Russell T. Davis didn't de- decide to destroy New York was because he liked the idea of the companions being all happy at the end of the episode, at the end of Journey's End, and not addressing the fact that New York was just blown up. Because, you know, if you have to address that New York, like a million people, how many people are in New York? Like, gotta be like five million or more <laughs> like it's ins- it's an insane amount of people they all died population of new york 8.468 million okay, yeah. as of 2021 in 2008 it was 7.946 million yeah i mean you know you so, c- yeah a lot of people so you didn't want a happy ending where every character ignored the destruction of millions of lives and then you know you have chibnall oh 15 years later almost 
who destroys half the universe or more than half of the universe <laughs> and the characters Everything never mention it everything is fine or, or apparently not fine because the next episode addresses the fact that flux still fucks things up but you know whatever just don't worry about it just don't worry about it just don't worry <laughs> about it uh, um but yeah, yeah uh unit is also in america now <laughs> how do you feel about this <laughs> I don't, I surprisingly don't think I've ever, like, had an opinion on it, mm. you know, where, like, unit being in America is not something that I ever was like, oh, that feels weird as a kid, and as an adult, whenever I've watched this episode, it's, like, something that is, like, I've just, like, not even paid attention to, because it plays so yeah. little into the episode like it, it they, they just have some american flags sitting around the place like you, you it's it literally do, it doesn't matter they're in a studio but you know thinking about it it makes sense for unit to be in america mm. you know i mean like yeah sure you know america <laughs> and the uk are very very close allies you mm. know and if you're like hey our good friends the united states by the way, we keep getting invaded by aliens. We have a secret yeah, but bro, alien task force guys it, that were it, invented by a snake man. Yeah, that's, but... that's there to there to uh, protect us. Do you want to share information? We could set up like an uh, um, embassy, a, like a unit secret building, just like uh, somewhere in New York. Don't worry about it. Why New York? I don't know. Like... <laughs> yeah, but bro, uh, they, they already have Mulder and Scully investigating all the <laughs> alien shenanigans, you know? They are doing fine as they are, you know? It's completely fine. We don't need a unit I'd love, base. I, I'd love an episode of X-Files where they have to investigate the Slovene. Um... <laughs> that'd be a great episode um so yeah but unit yeah. scenes are actually filmed in an active police traffic control center and two hours into filming they almost needed to stop as there was a major road incident and the entire time they're just continuing filming i'm like uh should should we stop is anybody going to come stop us and nobody comes in yeah. to stop us to stop them because I don't know why, but it's, it's kind of mental just to think we're filming this in a very important place. And we're thinking... That is crazy. We're kind of here, and we're, we kind of have permission, but we have to kind of stop if they ask us to stop. This is kind of up in the air whether or not the scene is going to finish, you know? <laughs> yeah, that must have been weird. That must have been so weird to do. But, you know, I guess that, you know, they weren't in the way. They could still do the job, so no need to stop. But, yeah, that must have, you must have felt so strange doing that. Um, it's like, you know, whenever you, like, you get, we got this more with college when we were actively making films, mm -hmm. um, but, like, whenever you had to ask, like, a oh, public God, place yes. to be like, hey, can I film here? And then they're <laughs> like, uh, I guess, I guess that's fine. And then you show up and you feel awkward the yes. entire time being like, okay, let's just get out of here as quick as possible because this, this is, like, this is a place <laughs> of business and we're holding them up right now. Uh, you know, like, I guess that just, that feeling never goes away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so there was one point where I was filming my uh, film for college and I emailed this place like weeks in advance saying oh can i just come in like an hour before you open and just uh film my film here um and i, I arrive i'm very okay with it they say yeah it's completely fine and I, I arrive on the day and i knock on the door and i said they take ages to answer as well and i knock on the door and i'm just waiting and waiting and i was like 
probably like 10 people with me, you know, they're filming with me and they're actors as well. Yeah, yeah. And we're just waiting and waiting. I keep on knocking and I'm just panicking. And then somebody opens the door and I say, hey, I, I asked if I could film here and they said it was all right. Can I, is, is that all right? And then they said, yeah, it's all right. And then they closed the door and the door is still locked. And I'm like, are, 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 they, are they double checking or something? Like, they just apparently never got the memo that I was going to be there. <laughs> so I have to knock again and wait even more. <laughs> and I eventually get like, in. Can but... we come in? <laughs> <laughs> but it was insane. Maybe they, maybe they assumed you meant like filming, like that yes. person at the door thought you meant filming outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 100%. And so like you're going to be noisy. Uh, like... But like, I just, I just felt so awkward. Like there were so many people with yeah. me as well. And it's like, uh, <laughs> just so awkward. Yeah. I, 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 that is. I remember another. Really... Yeah, I remember another incident where, you know, uh, somebody needed to film in a building. I think this somebody is a listener of a show, so I'm so sorry if I'm speaking about, I was about you. Uh, I'm about, I'm about, I was about to say this story as well. <laughs> okay, you can tell the story if you want. Story because. <laughs> Because I filmed uh, at that location, we managed. I yeah. managed to look up that location, and I filmed there uh, in the, in the office spaces, <laughs> and it went very smoothly. We mm-hmm. had no issues. You know, we were a bit loud because like it was a shouty scene, so we were like, "Oh, sorry that we were like shouting and stuff in this office." Um, but you know, thanks and all that, and then we we packed up, we filmed it, and left. And then I was asked to come and help out uh, with my friend to <laughs> film this this other this film that he was working on in the same location uh, that he had managed to book out with them as well because it, it was a, it was a pretty big office space. Uh, but I got really sick and I couldn't do it, so I was like, "Sorry, I can't. I can't make today. I'm too ill. I can't come in uh, to help you out. Sorry." Um, and then they come back to my flat that I'm staying in at the time. Uh, I am in bed ill and they're like oh boy did you miss did you were you are you lucky that you weren't there uh and this was this was I think the same day that the rise of not the rise of Skywalker the last Jedi trailer dropped I remember there was a Star Wars Mm. because people were watching that in my flat uh the Star Wars trailer I remember that um but anyway uh, they come back in they're like god it was so good that you weren't there that was awful that was horrendous that was the worst experience ever and i was like oh boy (laughs) tell me what happens that that sounds exciting um i like it's not a super exciting story it's basically just like they were using mist like canned mist um to create atmosphere in the shop which is okay if you're on like a close set Mm -hmm. or you know your own home or something where you can take out the batteries to your um fire alarm for five minutes while you're doing a shot uh or you can have a big enough space that it's not going to set off a fire alarm because you're in a huge warehouse um but instead it was a small office building and they filled the room with these aerosol cans and the fire alarm goes off and when the fire alarm goes off because this is a public building with members of the public coming in to it was like a cinema so they were coming in to watch movies uh as well as there was this office space on top fire alarm goes off that's shut down everything has to stop like like everyone has to get out they have to evacuate they have to do a head count they have to get the fire brigade out they have to stop business for the day and it just so happens that this was a day that they had filled out a cinema screen with like a corporate event so yeah. there was a ton of people and absolute a, and, ton of people and it's a struggling business so this was big for oh, them yeah. <laughs> you know uh, 
<laughs> yeah, and so it got it got completely shut down. They had to close down for the day. The fire brigade comes <laughs> out, and everyone gets a bit of a telling off. They get told that they're not allowed to film there, and they have to leave. And not only that, is the venue was also the place that showed our films mm. at the end of the yeah. year. And it took it took a lot of patchwork from uh, our lecturer to, yeah. to, to be to, to get our, that relationship mended. God, like, our lecturer was pissed because uh, the guy who ran the place was like completely nice to us letting it, he, like he let me film yeah. there a couple of times like he was completely professional just a lovely guy <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like oh he kind of hates us now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep it was it was certainly certainly a story and one that i'm i'm so glad i'm not and i'm like wasn't there for because yeah. like i would have i would have died i would have hated that that would have been awful um <laughs> insane yeah no very funny but yeah, yeah it's, it's funny to know about you know professional bbc production companies deal with their shit too like <laughs> the fact that yeah. you know filming could be destroyed at any moment because there's an actual emergency going on in this place <laughs> yeah like it's god it never you never feel like a professional do you <laughs> no in, in the film industry you're always an amateur but um, you know i've never become a professional so i guess that's why i never feel like one <laughs> but like even like like i worked like on a netflix show mm-hmm. last summer and like you know you're filming in like public spaces and you're like traveling to different locations and stuff and it's like we just like there's just like members of the public walking by like there's just yeah. regular cars driving by there's just people doing their day-to-day stuff right now and we're just filming like <laughs> we would film this a student film mm-hmm. and we're like <laughs> you know like like it doesn't there's no there's no like it doesn't ever stop feeling like you you're, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing <laughs> oh yeah because um i well i also filmed another film i was an actor in this film and i wore zombie makeup for this day and it's like a professional city council building, <laughs> and it just feels so weird to film in an actual city, you know, city center building. And you mm. know, when I leave a building and I'm walking around like Sainsbury's for my lunch, wearing this zombie makeup, and everybody's looking <laughs> at me, it's so strange. Like being in the film industry is such a weird thing. <laughs> I can't imagine being like a proper f- professional, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a strange job for sure. Um, but the episode, let's get back into the episode, we're only two minutes in, continues on as we then go from meeting Martha at Unit HQ yeah, to um, sorry. meeting... Yeah, I've seen uh, one of our co-workers is like, oh, Martha, look outside the window, which reminds me a lot of the very first Martha episode, you know, when she's in the hospital, she's working there for the day, and people are just looking outside the window because the rain is falling up. It feels like that same moment where, you know, somebody calls her over to look outside the window because something Mm. alien is happening. And then they end up on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then we cut to Torchwood HQ in Cardiff, where we meet Captain Jack, Yanto Jones, and the main character lady whose name I don't remember. Um, Gwen. What's her name? (laughs) Gwen. She Gwen. went. She went yes. on a summer yes. vacation yeah. um, <laughs> with her cousin. <laughs> uh, and you know, this it's it's a it's a relatively quick opening with mm. them where it's like, hey, something weird's going on. Are you okay, Yanto? And he's like, oh, I guess I'm okay. Uh, and then they, they like make out for like five minutes because it's <laughs> Torchwood. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, this is one thing about this episode. It feels weird to see uh, 
Torchwood members interact with actual Doctor Who monsters and not sexified <laughs> Doctor Who monsters yeah. like the sexy Cyberwoman from Series 1 or the sex guys. God, what a, yeah, what a great episode. Cyberwoman's uh, men. It's insane. I'm in, you know, in a scene I'm thinking of the episode with the sex gas. And then the next scene is cuts to the very kid-friendly CBBC show, Searching Adventures. Yeah. It's such a weird contrast, but yet it feels like they kind of belong in the same universe, even though you're like, well, what would happen if a Searching Adventures cast ran into the alien yeah. sex cast? It, it does great. <laughs> what it does great. Or what happens if Torchwood end up meeting, like, the trickster? Yeah. You know? Um... <laughs> But like, what's what's great about uh, the, all the things coming together is you were still introduced to Sarah Jane and Torchwood in Doctor Who. Yeah. So it does like if you didn't bother to watch the spin-off shows, it doesn't feel too jarring that these guys are showing up because they introduced them in Doctor mm-hmm. Who to begin with. So it's like, oh, these are just these characters I met already. This is cool. Um, you know, and you can don't need that wider context. It's such a great way of, you know, one doing a little sneaky uh secret pilot in an episode where you're like, "Hey, what if this was a thing?" Um and also incorporating it when you bring them all back in again, it's not so alien for your audience. It's 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 clever. Yeah, but Mafia, what would happen if uh, the class show spun off into Doctor Who? <sighs> I mean, just, all this, all these teenagers who like look like thirty-year-olds appeared in See, the I Doctor think... Who show. <laughs> like, I think that would mostly be weird because no one knows who they are. <laughs> uh, but I think class and torchwood surprisingly would fit quite well together mm. uh you know because mainly because of the gratuitous violence that is in class <laughs> yeah um because it's another doctor who show with just oceans of blood um yeah. which is always so strange to me um <laughs> thinking of blood existing in the doctor who universe uh, that doesn't feel right um <laughs> oh, class was such a weird show we should do more class what if? No. <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, but yeah, in the Sarah Jane adventure scene, uh, Sarah Jane calls for Mr. Smith, and the big fanfare music starts up as normal, and Sarah Jane is like, "Oh, enough with the fucking fanfare," <laughs> you know? She's like, "We're not. We're not. We don't need to patch for time. We're not on CBBC right now. We don't need to. We don't need to fill in this episode with any more stuff." Which, which to me was fucking hilarious as a kid because obviously I've seen eleven episodes of the Sarah Jane Adventures at this point, and the fanfare is a thing that happens every time a character calls for Mr. Smith. So the fact that the show. The big show, Doctor Who, is making fun of it. It's kind of funny to me. <laughs> just, like, nobody else understands that reference. You know, it's just a weird kind yeah. of line if you're not familiar with the Sarah Jane Adventures. But the fact that, you know, they're kind of being meta about another show is really fun. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that the Sarah Jane Adventures only had 11 episodes at this point. Yeah, just um, it just aired season one. Season two is about to come out in, like, October of this year. So, like, four months' time. So... Yeah, it's crazy, crazy how short into the run Sierra Jane Adventures yeah. is. Like, we're so short into the run, but uh, Luke even mentions Maria by name in this episode, who would leave a show the next episode of Sierra Jane Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a good attention to detail, though. That's a good eye for detail. Yeah, because I, you know, I how, love like, you wouldn't. Yeah, I love all the references to the other characters in this episode. You know, they mention Clyde because you know he's with his mom mm-hmm. right now. The, uh, the tortured members mention Tosh and Owen, who recently died, and they make reference to the fact that they recently died. Like, I love all the bits of continuity for the other shows because whenever there's other shows that do crossovers, it's usually written by other staff members. Like, you know, if you're watching an episode of The Flash where Arrow pops over, if the Arrow writers aren't writing uh, for that episode of The Flash. So you kind of feel like the, the, the Arrow character is kind of out of character almost. Like, it's just so much yeah. fun when this show... The Doctor Who universe is overseen by the same person, rather than you know, like Doctor Who in class. Like, class was kind of worked on by Moffat, but not really, you know. Yeah, that like, class is one of those things where it doesn't feel like like it feels more like an obligation to do a spin-off show yeah. than an actual want to do a spin-off show. Whereas it feels like Russell T Davis wanted to do these spin-off shows, you know. And you know, speaking uh, of spin-offs, I'm even more excited about spin-offs now in the Doctor Who universe. <laughs> I can't wait. I need to finish Torchwood. I need you to, do. I need to get back in. I need to get back in and finish Torchwood. Um, but who has the time? There's 20 billion other things I to know. watch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I just spent 40 hours playing video games all week. But <laughs> there is... <laughs> we then get introduced to everybody's favorite granddad, um... And nobody's favorite mum. Yeah. Is that fair? That's that fair. fair. Like, right? even like... the doctor uh, acknowledges that Sylvia is a terrible mother in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and to be fair on her, I, like, Sylvia is the most forgotten. Actually, I guess Martha's mum is the most forgotten about mum. Martha's mum doesn't really do much, but I like Sylvia as a character. Yeah. Like, Jackie was a great, well, almost a great mother. You know, she was flawed, but still a great mother. She was a great. She was. She was a great. She was a good character. She was a great she character. Was like a, I really yeah. like the Sylvia character, though. I, yeah, I don't. I never had any any hard feelings towards Sylvia. Although I do think it's interesting thinking about mother characters that we are now going to have a companion become that mother mm. character to their daughter that becomes the companion for at least four episodes you know um yeah. i think that's that that's going to be an interesting concept to play with you know is donna going to end up like her mom that's gonna be yeah that's gonna be interesting i can't wait for this 60th anniversary you've also got more bernard cribbins to watch how exciting yes. is that oh my god yeah, oh. the last time we'll ever see him yeah god it's heartbreaking. But yeah, uh, Bernard uh, but... Bernard Cribbins is carrying a big old stick here, thinking he could defeat the aliens with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we cut to the everyone looking up the sky, and then of course the milkman, everyone's our, favorite everyone's character, favorite character um, <laughs> that that decided that they, I can't believe they actually managed to get milkman back in for this series. It was. It was a bit on the rocks if he was ever going to show up or not, but I'm, I'm glad that he, he eventually did, and they worked out those contract issues. Um, as, <laughs> as he's not looking at the sky, instead he's looking down the road as Rose Tyler appears in front of him holding a hilariously fake-looking gun. Uh, yeah. It's... It's like a like a Dalek killing gun sort of thing, or like you know, it's from it. It feels like the guns that they were using in the Cybermen universe. 
Yeah, it um, feels almost like the guns know, we were using in the part in the ways, almost. You know, those were hilariously big <laughs> guns as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, she's like, hey, I'm going to kill all the Daleks. She has a cooler line than that. But <laughs> it, basically, that's what she says as she looks up to the planets in the sky. Um, and we finally cut to the Doctor Who intro credits. It's a, almost a five minute <laughs> cold open. And it's weird. crazy. And we're one hour and a half into this record, and that's insane. But just think about the day this milkman had, you know? Uh, first of all, he's, he's doing his normal business, and then a strange blue box appears out of nowhere, and a strange man appears out of it and says, what day is it? He's like, Saturday. And then he runs back into the box, and then all of a sudden, daytime becomes nighttime, and then all of a sudden, this woman appears out of nowhere as well, with a big-ass <laughs> gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a strange day. Yeah. What a strange well, two minutes. You see, see, you would think it was a strange day, but you're not a milkman. That's a pretty <laughs> normal day for a milkman. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, now I want to make a show about a milkman that has very strange days. But we, after the intro credits, which are just fan service oh. the credits, if that's even possible, where it's like just every big name possible, where you know it's like David Tennant, Catherine Tate, yeah. John Barrowman, uh, Billy Piper, just all the names uh, start coming up. Uh, yeah, God, going from Rose Tyler being like, "Oh yeah, this is just about to begin." And the pan up to the sky where all the alien planets are there. And then the intro where every name you can think of appears. Yeah. Like six names. That's insane. <laughs> like I, I was so giddy with excitement about what was about to happen. I guess it's just the first five minutes and you already feel like a little kid at Christmas. It's so exciting. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we cut to the TARDIS where... The Doctor and Donna are very confused as to what's going on. And then the Doctor says that I need to take you to the Shadow Proclamation, mm -hmm. which at this point in the show is just a thing the Doctor says when he's yelling at someone. Yeah. Uh, usually uh, the villain. Yeah. The first time you know. we heard of the Shadow Proclamation was in the in the very first episode of the reboot, Rose, where I think it was the scene where... Um, Christopher Eccleston is yelling at the big CGI monster of the episode. You know, he's having his big yeah. breakdown about the time war, and he's like, oh, the Shadow Pro Proclamation, blah, blah, blah. But you never really think yeah. we're going to actually go visit the Shadow Proclamation. I, and to be honest, I, I will say this, I'm kind of disappointed about what the Shadow Proclamation is, because it's... Are you... Like, for me, the Shadow Proclamation, I was always kind of like, oh, wait, they're, a thi they're, they're people? like they're a group like to me the shadow proclamation always felt more like these are like laws that we follow like this is mm. the shadow proclamation laws for higher beings like we they're like there's somebody or some organization created the shadow proclamation which is this 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 like set of boundaries we have to follow but it's like it's like an organization it's kind of like when they revealed the silence to be a religion yeah where it's like is that is that what you were going for this whole time? I did not get that. Uh, like, yeah, I, I can't. I obviously can't remember what I thought the Shadow Proclamation was because when Rose first aired, I was seven years old, and I don't think I really yeah. paid attention to that line. Thinking, you know, yeah. I didn't think it would. Oh, that'll be bad. Yeah, that'll yeah. come back in series <laughs> like, four. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I, I didn't even know Bad Wolf was a thing at this point. You know, yeah. but 
you yeah. know, the, the, the reveal of, we'll get to it later on, but the reveal of Shadow Proclamation basically being a corridor with stairs and this old, <laughs> this old albino woman and some Jadoon uh, wasn't my interpretation of what the Shadow Proclamation was. There's, there's so many, like, space organizations that kind of feel like they do the same thing yeah. in Doctor Who, isn't it? Because there's the Shadow Proclamation, there's the Silence, and then there's... Who's the one that the Doctor was involved in? The the The, future the Division, yeah. The, the Division, which feels like the exact same thing again. Yeah. Uh, like... These big uh, groups that don't really do anything, yeah. but are the most important group. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just wondering, yeah, the Shadow Proclamation does get name-dropped, I think, in the Series 5 final, which we're covering soon, but I don't think it ever comes back in a significant way. I wonder if Russell will ever bring him back, or if that's going to be left in the... You know, because with, with, with a Disney budget, you could really go for a big... Shadow Proclamation yeah. this show. Um, well, not, not, I... not a show, but kind of like you could <laughs> show it off in a way you could never have before, you know? I don't know if the Shadow Proclamation will come back, but I wouldn't be surprised if they mentioned the Shadow Proclamation in a line. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, oh, some villain's like, I destroyed the Shadow Proclamation. I just, like, just as like a throwaway line when he's like listing off a heap of things that he's destroyed. Like, it feels like, you, or like if you're, it feels like a line that if you were Chris Chibnall, you'd give the master. Um, when he's giving a monologue, being like, oh, I destroyed the silence. I destroyed the Shadow Proclamation. I am the <laughs> biggest baddest there is. And he's just, like, listing off yeah. everything. I killed all the Daleks. Don't worry about it. I killed everybody. Uh, oh, like, God. Every time I went to Gallifrey it. and I killed them all again. I killed all the Time Lords again. Wait, that happened. He did that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I am so fascinated to see what happens to Gallifrey in the future. My, my guess is it's just not going to be mentioned for at least three or four more years because he wants to touch I that. don't yeah <laughs> I don't think we're going to mention Gallifrey with Shooty's doctor mm-hmm. I think it'll be the doctor after Shooty's or even the doctor after that yeah. before they start bringing back Gallifrey cuz it it's a mess Although, although <laughs> like, recently we've had statements from Shooty Gatwa who says he relates to the doctor as a refugee himself and that makes true. me wonder if that's if that's going to be his take, you know, because obviously Shudi Gatwell will get his characteristics in. I wonder if his suggestion at all was, I kind of want the Doctor to be like more of a refugee again, you know? I don't want Gallifrey yeah. to be out there anywhere. Just make him a refugee well, again. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, Gallifrey's not out there anyway. You know, it got they're, they're all Cybermen, <sighs> and then whatever <laughs> happened in the power of the Doctor happened, and now I guess yeah. they're all dead again. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, like the planet Gallifrey is there, but now all the Time Lords are dead for real. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, a, what a shit show! And speaking of shit shows, uh, we cut to TV footage of the news reporter being like, "Oh yeah, the, the <laughs> fucking the sky, you can see planets now," and you see a shit show called Richard Dawkins. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which is insane. I think this might have been my first introduction to Richard Dawkins. Mm. Actually, because I was eight years old, I would not, I was not on YouTube, I was not on the internet at eight years old, I would not have been tapped into atheist, like, talking heads, you know, um, I, so when I, like, I discovered Richard Dawkins when I was, like, a preteen, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, 11, 12 years old, when you first start going online, and you first start being edgy, and, like, being like, I hate everything, everyone's so dumb, and then Richard Dawkins comes along, and he's like, you're right, by the way, you are <laughs> right, um, 
and you know he is certainly a man that exists in the world i don't think i i I don't particularly like him uh as a fully grown matured adult man that i am now but there was definitely a time where i listened to what richard dawkins had to say you know it was around the same time i was watching people like the amazing atheist and stuff you know just these insufferable insufferably annoying people i was Um, too don't worry um uh, my... and, you know it's 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 interesting like my ideology hasn't changed at all i'm just not like mm. i just can't get around that headspace of being so aggressive and it's so weird seeing this dude on t on like bbc one show like he like richard dawkins like what a weird yeah. cameo to get <laughs> and my first exposure to richard dawkins was on south park because a november 1st 2006 episode called go god go uh, had the character of Richard Dawkins and I think he wound up in another episode in the future where he Ooh. very oddly now what do you think about it where <laughs> he um hooked up with Mr. Garrison who was then a trans woman and you can see them two have sex in quite vivid detail which is kind of funny considering that now Richard mm-hmm. Dawkins has come out as transphobic, and it's a horrible. <laughs> it's it's not nice to think about him being transphobic. I, 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 I kind of. Su- it's not surprising. It's not surprising, but what is surprising? He was, of course, um, ex-husband to Lala Ward, who played the companion Romana in the seventies of Doctor Who, and who, of course, was married to Tom Baker at some point. So. <laughs> You know, that's kind of mental to think about. And Richard Dawkins was, of course, on the set of Dimensions in Time, watching Lala Ward perform her scenes. So he was on the EastEnder set that day. <laughs> <laughs> so. That is that is wild. Um, that's that's very strange indeed. But, but yeah, in such a such a loose connection to the show. <laughs> but yeah, in the original script, uh, Moff, uh, sorry, Russell D. Davis. I keep from calling them Moffat for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Just every Such time. similar names. I Such guess. similar names. Uh, yeah. but I mean, like, you know, I, sometimes I call Eccleston um, yeah. Capaldi and Capaldi Eccleston. Like, it's just these weird <laughs> associations. But Russell T. Davis basically wrote him to be just a generic scientist man. I guess, you know, like in future episodes when you have a generic scientist man, it turns out to be Professor Brian Cox, I think, in The Power of yeah. Three. Which is uh, yeah, the better one. He's yeah. like a good science man to get on. I like and Brian Cox, and also great. also Brian Cox did that um, entire science of Doctor Who special, which was like, oh, what if this were possible, and what if time travel is possible? And I never watched that because I don't. That is it. I don't like. I did watch that. that. I remember what I remember <laughs> watching that. Yeah, I I love Brian Cox, and I, you know, and I'm a big fan of science, and it was a very fun special. Um, I, I that was a good time. Yeah, God, that's that was so long ago. <laughs> but yeah, in uh, so he just wrote it as a generic scientist man, and then in the book you can read how Ben Cook, the guy who did the correspondence with Rusty Davis via emails, he suggested Richard Dawkins, and then surprisingly, he just they just got him, which is kind of wild to think about because. I don't think Richard Dawkins did much acting work. You know, obviously a lot of these scientists do act and work, like Stephen Hawking, who does The Simpsons, uh, who who did mm-hmm. The Simpsons and Futurama. Like, they occasionally appear and, as themselves uh, in TV And shows. The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> did, I, 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 I do wonder if Richard Dawkins did The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. How do you know? Uh, and I have seen every episode of The Big Bang Theory. Have you really? I have seen every episode. 
I have seen every episode of The Big Bang Theory. I'm, <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of having seen every episode. That's insane. Um, <laughs> but I'm not super ashamed either. It's like like Big Bang gets a bad rep, mm. deservedly, because it's not good. But it's also what I just it, it's what I describe as junk food TV. Yes. Yeah, where it's it's like the perfect level of trash where it's like oh i can just stick this on and do something else Mm -hmm. you know like i can look over to this and go like ha like once every 20 minutes um when they have like a good joke and then just continue (laughs) on my day and the show does improve it does get better the the first seasons are really bad and then like halfway through they start doing some fun character stuff with everybody and it's like oh this is this is better but it's still not good yeah um (laughs) and i haven't i haven't seen it in a very long time but i i did finish the show um but you know it's it's as far as sitcoms go you know like always sunny like peep show stuff like that they're they're like s tier and it's like how i met your mother and things like that big bang theory is like c d tier like it's it's junk food but yeah my show is fine yeah my show is massive for those like number one show oh, for so yeah, many huge. years it was probably like the last big proper sitcom on network television with a laugh track like i, I can't it's think of... the last sitcom i remember watching yeah. that didn't look like shit <laughs> like every modern sitcom looks horrendous like the budget is just like uh. the cameras are too hd or the lighting is too flat or the sets are too cheap but sitcoms nowadays look awful they look absolutely horrendous, uh, and like just like like Big Bang ended like what 2015, 2016, yeah. and it was still it's still looked decent. Time, yeah. And then they're like as soon as that ended, like suddenly just sitcoms look awful. They look terrible now. Um, uh, they do have yeah. uh, Young Sheldon, which is currently still running. I think that's on its seventh. Well, that's season. a single cam show. Yeah, it's a single cam show, which is wild to think about. But I've seen occasional episodes of Young Sheldon, and I appreciate the fact that it's not another laugh track sitcom because it it kind of feels like laugh track sitcoms are kind of not in anymore. But you know, you have shows like yeah. How I Met Your Father, which feels overly fake. Because how I met your mother, it feels shit. Like it's so shit. Yeah, like, it's, it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> I, like I, yeah, I, I can't describe what happened, but it's it's like it reminds me of what the Always Sunny in Philadelphia creators say. Like when the show got in HD, they felt like they wanted to keep it mm-hmm. in SD and letter in four by three because it makes it feel much more sitcommy because you know it feels more disgusting or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also like with like how i met your father like and and modern sitcoms in general i feel like the acting got worse yeah you know like like acting in big bang theory and in how i met your mother it's not great but it still has Mm. moments where it's like oh you you know you guys are playing believable characters and i'm never taken out by your performance like you 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 guys are doing a solid job across the board whereas if you watch like how i met your father and things like that everyone is like acting like a cartoon like their eyebrows are just moving constantly and they're lit so weirdly and they're moving in these really Mm. exaggerated ways where it's like this doesn't are you are are you like at gunpoint is someone holding a gun to you behind the camera because you feel like you're like distressed right now like yeah the big difference between shows like friends or the big bang theory or how i met your mother compared to modern shows is i if i think they don't film in front of a live studio audience anymore because you know friends big bang theory and how i met your mother filmed in front of a big studio audience which it which is feels makes it feel more like it's theater 
you know you have to mm-hmm. you obviously have to be exaggerated with like theater performances and how i met your mother is exaggerated but it's not over the top cartoon how i met your mother they never filmed in front of a live audience did we not no, they they wanted to, but because okay. the show was so weird, mm. and they do weird transitions yeah, okay, and have big weird set pieces, they it wasn't feasible to do it in front of a live audience. So, How I Met Your Mother was piped in, but Big Bang Theory and Friends was live yeah. audience. But How I Met Your Mother made it feel like it was filmed in the front. Yeah, like it's again, it's it, there's something that's happened. I don't know what's happened. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> with How I Met Your Mother, you have like people like Neil Patrick Harris, who is used to do stage work you know and he he knows how mm-hmm. to act naturally in front of an audience and you can think, kind of feel like those people are performing in front of a studio audience even though they obviously aren't anymore you know but mm-hmm. with how am i to your father it feels like these people never filmed in front of a live studio audience and we don't know what that's like and so they're like oh yeah you have to be exaggerated and we don't know what level of exaggerated we have to be <laughs> it's interesting it's yeah. so weird like I, I, I just uh, it, this requires a more of a discussion at a later point because I need to research now what shows actually do I, film in front of a live studio audience. The only the only modern sitcom I can think of that I've actually enjoyed is the '90s show, which mm. still falls into the trap falls yeah. of really bad acting, lighting, and everything feeling kind of fake, but it managed to capture the tone and vibe of the 70s show close enough where I was like, this is fun. I can watch this. Like, it's not great, but it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, and I started liking it the more that I continued to watch it, but it's still not as good, and the production feels worse. And mm-hmm. I think it must just be budget issues. Like, it could because cameras are cheaper now, so you can buy yeah. a cheaper camera that produces a better picture, which means you can lower the budget and just forget about everything else, you know? Um, because you've got your camera and your sound sorted for fucking like a grand. Like <laughs> it's it's fucking insane how we just managed to stumble onto this conversation for like ten minutes. Should we move on? <laughs> yeah. So then they have the Paulo Grady show. Oh god, this is going to require uh... a ten minute conversation as well. Because also, if you're not from the UK, Paulo Grady to us was known as like a um, talk show guy. He had a TV Talk show guy. on yeah. ITV One and also Channel Four at around the same time. Like you always went back and forth for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. But to an older generation, he was of course like Lily Savage, who was a drag queen, and he recently passed away, which is really sad. <laughs> it is really sad. I remember really enjoying the Paulo Grady show as a kid. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. It was a really fun show. I only um, watched him when he had like a big guest I recognized on, but I never watched him outside of that. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, for me, it, for me, it was like I watched if it was on. Yeah, like if it was if I was like watching TV one day and flicking through, it was like, oh, Paulo Grady's on. I'll stick that on. Nothing else mm. is catching my eye. You know, I, I think I watched the episode, one of the episodes where. Um, his dog had recently been put down and he was just crying about it and I just really felt for a guy who really loved his dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you, uh, have, you can see one of his dogs there, Buster, in, the, in this episode of yeah. Doctor Who, which is, I think he's one way from retirement. Wow. Uh, 15 years old he died you... at. Not Paul Grady, Gee but whiz. the dog. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a long time for a dog to live. 
but we then cut uh, to Yanto watching yeah. <laughs> um, Paul O'Grady and, and laughing at him uh, and getting told off by Captain Jack because he's like, why are you watching TV? We're in a like a dangerous situation right now. Hey, um, remember the last episode of Torchwood we covered where uh, we find out that John Barman and, sorry, the Captain Jack and Yanto fuck in this office like they just full yeah. on have sex around yeah regularly yeah constantly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden um, captain jack's like oh be professional stop watching tv <laughs> like yeah. who is he to judge yeah that's 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 fair that's but, fair but you know priorities you know uh but <laughs> in this original <laughs> draft where every every character was watching tv um there would have been a scene that included companions watching news footage of a new Prime Minister, Aubrey Fairchild, greeting a Dalek saucer and saying the human race welcomes them in peace, only for a Prime Minister to be exterminated by Daleks. Oh my god. And the Prime Minister yeah. <laughs> to be exterminated live on TV. God, what a bad idea. I hope they never show that in Doctor <laughs> Obviously, um, Abe, I think... Uh, Russell T. Davis didn't like the idea because it obviously required more special effects shots. He was already over the limit by like double, so he had to cut down the special effects shots in this episode. But also, just the idea of the Prime Minister being shot on live television is weird. <laughs> it is. It is weird. It's also like a huge event. Yeah. Like a huge historical event to have happened. And mm. to present that just kind of nonchalantly in an episode and, and not have any characters bring it up or talk about it or have any real impact on the yeah. plot as a whole. Uh, like, why would you bother writing something that that's, that would be that impactful to a society as having their head of state assassinated um, if, if nobody even cares about it? I mean, the prime minister is not the head of state because it's not really, but, you know, essentially <laughs> the same thing. Um, I mean, also, but... when this happens, when, like, the most important man in Britain gets murdered by a Dalek... You can't go with the excuse of a companion asking what a Dalek is in the future. Whereas, you know, if they only yeah. invade a couple of streets or whatever, and they're not really yeah. caught by television cameras, you can have a companion not know what a Dalek is that way. Like, they know they've got moved around in space and they saw alien planets in the sky, but they wouldn't necessarily know what a Dalek is after this event, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, uh, obviously I, the idea was later reused in the Chibno era. I wonder if it was a complete coincidence or, you know, if Chibno probably heard of this idea. Or... <laughs> there's, there's, there's only so many ideas, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, we then cut to Gwen on the phone where she's talking to presumably her husband. They're yeah. still together. They still, I, I think don't know it was her um, boyfriend around this time. So her boyfriend Reese. Uh, Telling ah, him yes, to just yes. give um, her mother a couple of sleeping pills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just yeah, yeah. It's very funny. Uh, and <laughs> then we cut to um, briefly to the Sarah Jane adventures again, where we get Luke, the no belly button boy, being like, "Wow, spaceships!" And it's like you feel weird being in this episode, Luke. You're like. Like, he's not a bad actor, but he's very much a CBBC actor. Yes. Um, like, he is... Where he, if he, he, yeah, you can go on, sorry. Yeah, no, like, he just... He, he fits that kid show acting by yeah. very well, you know? You know, he is, like, 12 years old, 13 years old in this episode, so, you know, 
yeah, it's hard to act when you're a kid. But later it's on, it's crazy how tall he is for a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> but later but, you know, on, he, he straight up looks seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he probably was seventeen. I don't know how old he was. Yeah, fact, but later on, when Sarah Jane runs out of the house to obviously drive off, uh, I think Luke is supposed to look concerned more than anything. But his facial expression reads as completely confused about what's happening to me, which doesn't fit the character <laughs> of Luke. He just looks befuddled about what's happening, rather than yeah. just completely concerned about his mother. But <laughs> yeah, boy genius, very confused what's going on right now. But yeah, um, all, all the scenes are basically just uh, companions just looking at radar screens of the Dalek saucers approaching Earth. And in the original yeah. script, we would actually see all the Dalek saucers in special effects shots, but um, obviously, again, budget issues. I think it, it's more effective emotionally watching characters reacting to what happens because, oh God, Sarah Jane Smith and Captain Jack getting really good scenes of just them watching what's happening and just getting PTSD about their past experiences with Daleks because obviously Captain Jack just died because of a Dalek. <laughs> like that's a scary yeah. event to go through. Well like it's not that it builds up the tension where mm. you're like, you know, what's going on? What what's happened? Why is the planet being like this? What's doing this to them? And you're, you know, you've not because you don't see the dialects, you don't know it's the dialect. So you're you're like, what is, what is causing this, um, this event? And you you build up this mystery, and then when all those all the cast are going like, oh, no, it can't be, no way. You're like, what? Who is it? You lean in, you get on the edge of your seat, and then you hear exterminate, and you see Sarah yeah. Jane weeping, literal tears coming down her face, and Captain Jack being like, oh no, we're gonna die. I can't do anything. Uh, and it's like you know, this is suddenly the stakes are even higher than they were before because our our heroes, the heroes of the show, the like the companions, everybody yeah. is saying we are fucked. We are gonna die. This is it. You know, this is the end for us. There's nothing we can do to save the day here. Uh, and you know, the Daleks feel terrifying. They're so scary. You don't even see them. You just hear their voice, mm -hmm. and you know how much danger you're in. You know. And it goes back to what we were talking about with uh, Parting of the Ways and Bad Wolf, where there's that iconic scene that I think is iconic anyway. The scene where all the game show contestants are just waiting downstairs and all they can do is just wait oh, yeah. for the Daleks to come and exterminate them all. Like, just the fact there's no running from a Dalek, no pleading with a Dalek. Like, later on, Sarah Jane apologizes to a Dalek and the Dalek's like, we oh, don't God, accept yeah. apologies. <laughs> is so scary. <laughs> like, you can't... Yeah, there, I, there's no... I, the Daleks the Daleks were terrifying to me in this episode as well. Yeah. Like, I remember, and I again, remember them being very scary. That's, that's the kind of fear that goes away when Moffat took over the show, or when... Actually, I think Chibnall made the Daleks a little bit more scary again with the first episode that he did with the Dalek. That's, that's one thing I'll give to Chibnall. The episode where the Dalek squid is controlling that woman is terrifying. Is that Revolution? Yes. Resolution, Resolution yeah. I really like that episode. Yeah, resolution. It, it's, even, it's the best New Year special. It yeah. is the best New Year special. Even though that episode does feel like Venom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a good episode. Um 
But the episode, this episode, Stolen Earth, continues on as everyone is very sad that they're going to die um, because of the Daleks. And we then get, like, a pretty decent special effects shot where we get the first reveal of the Dalek ship mm. flying over um, London or Cardiff or whatever it is. Like, it's a bit dated now and, like... Yeah. I feel like we could recreate, like I could recreate the special effect shot. Like you just need to, it's just rotoscoping out the skies. Yeah, it's not that <laughs> but uh, it's it's still it's cool and at the time would have looked incredible. I don't I don't remember ever being as a kid watching this at least these first four series of Doctor Who and getting taken out of the effects. You know, no. obviously this was I was watching it in standard definition on uh you know a not great television and mm. I was a child who had no idea how CGI worked. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I remember it looking amazing. Yeah, I, I think the shot still holds up quite well. Just the color palette and just the design of the saucer itself is iconic. I really like the I it feels like it's a 60s design because it's obviously it's a 60s design and also there's a great big explosion going off behind rose tyler in this scene and it just reminds me of a song cool guys don't like good explosions <laughs> <laughs> it is 2008 it's like the, the like yeah. the, coming up to the peak of not looking at explosions yeah um well then oh, we get we cut right into our first appearance of the daleks where Graham Harper really knows how to shoot a Dalek because the introduction to the Dalek is him, the Dalek, spinning around. And it, it's just so great. It just I don't know how to describe it. It's just a great shot to open up on. Just a Dalek spinning around. It's in, it's in motion. And this whole scene yeah. is in motion because uh, Graham Harper recorded the introduction twice, actually. Initially, he had the Daleks lined up to obviously start the scene. But he changed his mind and wanted them around the console instead. And I, again, I just love how much m movement there is. Just there's so much movement in this episode in total. And Graham Harper yeah, really, really knows yeah, how I mean, to direct. <laughs> yeah, no, he's very good at his job. But you wouldn't believe uh, that this is a very quick opening 10 minutes to the episode with how long it's <laughs> taken us to talk about them. Uh, but the, the, like the pacing for the this opening ten yeah. minutes, like it's going clip boom 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 boom. So you're getting this tension of like, oh, here's all the characters. Oh, this is so exciting. Wait, something's gone wrong. What's going wrong? Oh my god, it's the Daleks. Oh my god, it's the Daleks. Oh my god, everyone's dying. All within the space of like ten minutes. Like the 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 nonstop. Like here we go. Yes. This is action, 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 and it's uh, it's incredible to watch. And again, it goes back to just. Me, what I said earlier about Graham Harper when we did Caves of Androzone, we were astonished about how well it was paced. This episode, the first 11 or 12 minutes, is just constant. Also, the next scene does slow down a bit because we, we need a little, little bit of a breather. We can't have yeah. all action based, but yeah. Just, just a pacing, just a pacing, and of the movement first of the camera. Ten minutes of an episode, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's astonishing, like, and how many filming days in this ten minutes alone <laughs> did we just watch? Yeah, like that's so yeah. many scenes. Also, I didn't know this, but the TARDIS set, the Torchwood set, and the Sergeant Adventure set, the attic, are like all right next to each other in, the, in a little triangle. <laughs> <laughs> like I did not know this, so we're basically filming on the same set. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's crazy. crazy. That's cr yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, we've cut to the Shadow Proclamation, and originally this scene was going to be a lot different to the one we have here. 
Uh, there was originally going to be a scene where lots of alien species was going to be in this facility here. There was going to be the Bane, the Krillotines, Gelf, Isolus, Jadun, the Slavine, the Grask, uh, the Jixabahoon, the Cat Nuns from like <laughs> the new New Earth episodes, and a 15-foot adipose, which is, you know, the little creature in the opening of series four. Um, Russell D. Davis wanted to save money for later on in the story, so he rewrote it to just be a couple of Jadun and the Lady instead. The idea, however, did kind of get reused in the end of time with a Star Wars Cantina scene. Um, So I could go over what this original alt draft was. Uh, This scene is so busy. It, It has a Jenga theme, which is from a Slovene planet I don't know how to pronounce. So this Jingafine tells the Doctor and uh, Donna that Clom is gone and that they must phone home because their planet will fall out of the sky without Clom. And we even get to see a baby Margaret Slovene, if you remember the Margaret Slovene who oh, ran yeah, for... Oh yeah, she gets yeah. turned into an egg. Yeah. She gets turned into an egg, yes. Like, apparently this, this obviously, dra- obviously Russell Davis was working so tight against the deadline but they even recorded lines with this Margaret Slovene actress. Who, I think her name is Anit. Sorry. Um, Annie Badland, I think her name is. Something like that. Who plays Margaret Slovene? Annette Badland. Annette Badland. Yes, they filmed so. actual dialogue with Annette Badland, who was like, I think oh she had. She's. She is 73 years old. Yeah, she is old. (laughs) I want her to come back so badly. I love Margaret Slovene. She is so good as Margaret Slovene, especially in Boomtown. A scene with her and the doctor in the the restaurant was amazing. In the restaurant, yeah, it's so good. But yeah, they recorded lines with her, basically saying, I think it's baby Margaret Slovene looking at the doctor and being like, oh, mommy, I don't like that place, man. (laughs) Or something like that. Um, <laughs> so the, do- uh, the Doctor and Donna walk up to Jadun to report that Earth is missing and the Jadun hands them a stamp and they have to stand in a line where they're number 162589 which which is I think it's kind of like a Beetlejuice reference where we're like a millionth in line and we really have to wait and we're stuck here yeah, for hours yeah. and the Doctor has to file like, paperwork and Donna would be approached like, by an elderly yeah. nun who says there's something on Donna's back and all this took around six to seven pages and it's just so much unnecessary fluff of like it's ca- sort of thing that would be fun in a book yeah you know but, where it's like oh this is this is some fun haha isn't bureaucracy silly that mm. is fun to read on the page in a book but on screen six pages that's six minutes of the episode yeah dedicated to <laughs> one joke like, yeah, and, and, and so much cgi and costumes yeah. and extras and it really works out in the end where we only have like i think it was like five of our characters in this scene the three jadun and the two ladies i think but this alternative draft does have a nice little moment where Donna starts to cry because she's worried about her family and the doctor reassures her that they'll find them because he says it's not just her family but and that the daft little planet is the closest thing he's got to family as well, which I, I wish was kept in this episode because whenever Donna is crying about... Uh, the, poten- the potential fate about her family, the Doctor just comes across as cold. Like, it's yeah. so weird. 
yeah, uh, he doesn't seem particular. Like he's he starts off uh, concerned for Earth and mm-hmm. concerned for everybody on it, but the second he finds out there's more planets, suddenly like earth and the people on it don't feel like the priority it's like oh let's solve this mystery mm-hmm. let's figure out what's going on with all the planets and not just earth which makes sense if the, you know the stakes have been raised higher but as an audience watching what do i care about clom yeah. i've never met <laughs> i've never we've never seen clom we've never we've only ever heard people talk about clom yeah. we don't know anything about it you know there's whereas earth i i know earth that's that flat one isn't it <laughs> you know so yes <laughs> uh, yes um <laughs> So Russell T. Davis scrapped this idea and thought of getting rid of the Shadow Proclamation altogether, but then he thought the idea of the Doctor just standing around the TARDIS looking at scanners would be pretty fucking dull. And the Doctor does spend a lot of time in this episode standing around the TARDIS in general. And then he considered a scene where they go into a barren planet and he meets a psychic Kermit, which he also thought was terrible because he dislikes that kind of spooky psychic crap. But then, you know, in the same episode, he does write one of the women in the Shadow Proclamation to be a psychic. So I'm not sure. Look, <laughs> so like, you know, writers, writers are allowed to be hypocritical. It's, <laughs> you can be like, this, this is what a bad, lazy idea that is. And then write that into your script. Okay, it's fine. You don't yeah. need to feel bad about it. Like, that's acceptable. Like, yeah. Um, so we can go on to about Shadow Proclamation. I think their scene is kind of uninteresting. The Shadow Proclamation is kind of un- uninteresting as it is. Just um, I'm not interested in finding out any kind of background about this or anything like that. See, I think it's an interesting enough scene. I like the mystery and I like them solving the mystery. What I dislike is how the Shadow Proclamation are presented. Yeah. Because you know, because they got rid of all that cool character the Shadow Proclamation are this heavy bureaucratic sort of place. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, in Futurama, the, the bureaucracy building where everyone has to wear the badges yeah, and the yeah, numbers yeah. and they've all got those. Like, that's what I imagine the Shadow Proclamation is like in the original idea. Um, whereas this is very clearly like uh, office space yes. in the BBC building <laughs> where they've decided if we set up a blue light at the top of those stairs, uh, it'll look like uh, Aliens building. It's fine because it's so white and plain. Mm-hmm and there's nothing going on it feels empty it doesn't feel like like there's this huge cgi shot when they land off this like giant crystal building on like three asteroids and it's this huge place and then we go in and it's like ah office building it's like a regular office building Mm -hmm. you ever seen a it's one of those uh and it's just it's really disappointing uh, in terms of like it just falls flat where it's like oh oh it's nothing if there's nothing I, yeah. here um you know yeah i, it, I feel like it, he went too extreme with the cutting off some of the the characterizations i 100 percent get that but at the same time if he's trying to save the budget for later on in the episode i feel like there's more important things later on so i'm kind of I'm, again i'm in two camps about this i'm glad he kept some of the money for later on but it would be nice to see a more visual representation of what the Shadow Proclamation is rather than like six Jadoon standing in a room <laughs> at Rhymes. And yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a bit bland looking and they don't, the Shadow Proclamation don't come across as memorable. No. Um, 
But then after they figure out that it's happening on all these different planets and stuff like that, we cut to the Daleks destroying S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Um, from Marvel's S.H.I.E.L.D. When they're the helicarrier from Avengers, <laughs> the Daleks destroy it. Well, um, be- before we cut to the Daleks, um, David Tennant has the line, someone tried to move the Earth once before, which is a reference to Daleks' invasion of Earth. The, yes. ever, the second ever Dalek story where they tried to do the same thing. We recently covered Dalek invasion of Earth 2150 AD, which starred Bernard Cribbins. So, yes, and it's not good. It's, I liked it. It's, it's, you liked it, yeah. Um, I liked parts of it, um, but personally, I preferred the first one. And also, all these planets being lost and moved around kind of does remind me of Kingdom Hearts, where the entire purpose of Kingdom Hearts is we have to save these planets from being destroyed into pure darkness. (laughs) Is that what Kingdom Hearts is about? I I guess. (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure kingdom hearts is actually about xehanort traveling his his (laughs) horcruxes back through time yeah because halfway through writing it the creator of kingdom hearts watched harry potter um (laughs) (laughs) fucking kingdom hearts is such a weird it's a vibe it's a vibe it's such a vibe there's nothing like it it's such a (laughs) mental mental piece of art um it's brilliant um but oh, yeah. yeah they you know there's a, bun- a bunch of destruction and death and it this this all builds and leads up to uh martha being told that she needs to strap on this jacket and teleport away to do something what's like we know i know it's a teleporter mm-hmm. but what's the plan where's she teleporting to well i don't remember if she ends up <laughs> somewhere in this episode or if they have to save her because i have i watched this episode weeks ago so i don't I do not remember what happens mm. with Martha. Um, uh, well, she ends up in Germany. I'm not sure if it's this episode or next episode she ends up next in Germany. Next episode. Because yeah. I think she's gone for most of this episode. We're, we're led to believe... Yeah, no, it's 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 straight up... Ne- yeah, it's next episode. That's because wild, we're led to believe that she dies. Because yeah. I, I keep on thinking that Martha's going to come back in this episode. I guess that's weird. She just only has like... She's only in the first 20 minutes of this episode, but she's basically teleported away because the Daleks are here. There's no escaping the Daleks, so it's better to teleport away than to stay here. And she she's handed this MacGuffin device, which is like a little square computer thingy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Strap the science, strap the science on your chest, and you'll be able to get out of here. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, she's transported to Germany, which we'll get to next week. But, um, yeah, uh, um, the entire time, Captain Jack is on the phone and is completely devastated when she actually leaves. Um, he's like, "Oh my god, she's dead!" And we just covered an episode where we believe that rose is almost dead i I never believed for a second that martha died here like there's there's no yeah no same there's, there's, yeah, it's so anticlimactic where it's like no way did you kill off a main character like that yeah there, um, there's no kind of lingering on her death either it's just sort of oh no she's dead anyway let's explain what yeah. this is uh, we find out a project indigo is kind of like leftover technology from the sontarans who recently invaded earth and like what five six episodes ago or something like that yeah yeah wait it's one of those what the the sontaran invasion um was what the poisons it's episode four episode five so yeah so yeah. it's it's a poisonous gas um in the cars or whatever <laughs> it's been a while yeah. since i've yeah. seen that episode <laughs> they're fine 
they're fine episodes. Yeah, but uh, they're the Suntarans are fun. But, but what yeah. I liked about Mo, uh, Russell D. Davis's era is that you know that episode is now plays an important part to the show because it's referenced in this final episode like nothing is left behind there's no episode that feels like it's filler well there's a few episodes that feels like it's filler but you know in you know like in uh in most of chibnall's run you get an episode like um the demons of the punjab is a great episode but it never really ties into any other episodes in the future it just feels like a one-off you know you just never get yeah. a sense of progression in the storyline or anything like that. Whereas with Russell D. Davis, he would drop little hints and have characters appear that then tie into later episodes, which always made you want to watch the next episode to find out what happens next in the story, you know? Yeah. Um, my question for you mm-hmm. is, if Captain Jack is so close to Martha that he's on the phone with her Mm -hmm. and they know about each other they're friends with each other they presumably work together at certain situations like captain jack knows what this teleporting device is so clearly he's spoken about it with unit and with martha why is martha not working for torchwood well well uh martha just worked for torchwood she was the temporary doctor she was uh well when owen died and then kind of came back to life as like a zombie man. She took over for him for like a trilogy of episodes. So I guess that's... Oh. Yeah, it's, 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 she's very underused in this trilogy of episodes. So it doesn't feel <laughs> like... Like there's a point where she becomes an old lady because every character from series three has to have old age makeup on, apparently. <laughs> yes, yes. But this is the <laughs> It's a great trilogy when you're following the Owen character, but Martha doesn't get too much to do, which is a big shame. But yeah, she was part of Torchwood. She's a she's a temp Torchwood character. She was supposed to appear in Torchwood series three as well, but she uh, the actress became too busy, busy, so she never turned up in Torchwood. Yeah. Freeman Agri Prima Agumin, I can't say her name. Yeah, um, I keep on pr- mispronouncing it myself. <laughs> I feel really bad for um, her. She's a great actress. <laughs> she's amazing. I absolutely love her. Um, but, you know, she's gone on to have a pretty successful career. She works with the Wachowski sisters a yeah. lot. Uh, she, she was in their Sense8 show on Netflix, and she shows up in Matrix 4 and stuff like that, you know. Um, it's cool. I'm I'm happy for her. Happy she's had a successful time because yeah. it's it's not often it's it's surprisingly not often that people that end up in Doctor Who as main characters go on to have very big successful careers um, mm-hmm. in TV and film. Usually they end up in just disappearing for a while, you know. Yeah, or um, they just end up doing like their own independent projects for most part. Yeah, it's like um, Noel Clark before work. he got cancelled wound up yeah. doing a lot of independent Apart- stuff. But- yeah, and then he did, like, Star Trek and things like that. Yeah. And then he got that show that was supposed to be his big break that was apparently amazing and then never got a finale because they pulled it <laughs> because of all those allegations. Yeah. But hey, yeah. he's got his documentary. He's got a documentary coming. It, it, Can't it, wait. It, it's so weird watching Noel Clark and John Barman together on screen in the next episode and the behind-the-scenes footage of them two interacting, knowing exactly 
how their kind of relationship went after Doctor Who, where Noel Clark got into a lot of trouble and was like, oh, but, but John Barrowman did stuff too. And then John Barrowman <laughs> got into trouble and then they became, they both became assholes, I would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, although, like, it's it's awful. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know who's worse. They're both bad for different reasons. Yeah. Like I think the the Noel Clark stuff, it, like there was way more allegations against mm. him, but also like all like there's it's one of those things where they, all the cases have been dropped, and I I don't know if people have withdrawn or if there just was no evidence because it was so long ago, and he's making this documentary like his one's way messier, whereas John Barrowman just keeps digging holes for himself. Yeah, you know he just he just keeps stepping on rakes. Um, they've gone in very different directions both equally depressing um yeah. with how they've dealt with these allegations when all that needs to really happen is well for no clark you know you know your career's basically over but for john barman like it's like oh i'm sorry that was you know mm-hmm. wasn't thinking it was a mistake of the past rather than no you're wrong i was right <laughs> yeah, if the allegations against Noel Clark are false, we don't know either way. But if they are false, yeah. it's really sad how his career was ruined. But you know, I, yeah. I I I tend to believe when there's smoke, there's fire. So and and the fact that there wasn't any evidence or it was it was too far ago in the past doesn't mean anything to me because you know it's <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things where it gets messy though. Mm-hmm. Um. Because if you look at things like the Kevin Spacey yeah. situation, where Kevin Spacey just recently was found innocent of all charges mm-hmm. um, by UK courts, by a UK jury, um, which I guess means that he's an innocent guy and that he didn't do, like, by the word of the law, he didn't do those things, at least would against the people that were charging him in the UK. So, like, those allegations were then false um i don't know if i believe that they were false though you know and it's hard to change that opinion and it's also hard to to really know anything about most of the allegations since he definitely murdered the people (laughs) that were uh, (laughs) having those allegations against him um but i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised if we see kevin spacey on our screen soon because he's an innocent man apparently Terrifying. so that's cool yeah yeah like one I, of, I mean i will give give him one thing he's a good actor yes <laughs> like, i recently just watched like, bug's life and his performance in that movie is incredible like he is so yeah. good in bug's life and you know whether or not um kevin spacey is innocent or not you can we can all agree on one thing but the christmas message he did after <laughs> he got into a lot of trouble after two, he murdered that guy the two after he murdered the, man. <laughs> the two christmas eve videos he did yeah was so bizarre to a point where even if you defend kevin spacey it, it gets to a point where you kind of can't defend the man because what the fuck was those christmas videos I mean, I mean, he released a video saying "kill your enemies with kindness" on the same day that one of his people <laughs> that were giving allegations against him died. Yeah, um, um, you know. yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah. That's a little diversion about a very cheerful topic. <laughs> Shall we get back into Doctor Who? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we get a very cool reveal. The Supreme Dalek is on the bridge, and the Supreme Dalek looks rad as hell. Yes. 
like the the supreme dalek is a cool looking dalek it's a cool design loosely inspired has... by the 1960s dalek designs i can't remember if i said that or mm-hmm. not but he is a cool design <laughs> and as the supreme dalek is talking we hear another voice talking to him and we hear you know we start seeing like shots of something familiar to us if you were has davros showed up in modern who yet i don't know he hasn't it's it's been we haven't seen davros in 20 years at this point since remembrance of the daleks so it's been a long time uh and they you know you you hear the voice and then they tease out the reveal of that of davros so you know you see like his hand there's like a really there's a really good looking wide shot yes of davros where he's got like these like metal like circles behind him almost like a vortex um and he's like center framed it looks stunning um you see like the like he, as he's talking he like starts tapping his fingers across against the console and you hear like his the metal clank of his hand as he's like pratting against it and it's yeah it's such an amazing build-up of oh this guy who is this guy like this is terrifying oh God, yeah um it's, and yeah. like like as a, as a kid i had no idea who davros was other than you know it would have been like after this episode aired in doctor who magazine where they're like davros is back look here's all the stuff you need to know about davros and like then i would have read up about and who davros was so like this revealed to me as a kid would have been absolutely terrifying where i'm like oh my god there's a, <laughs> like a leader guy of the daleks <laughs> yeah i can't remember if i knew who davros was or not but i feel like i must have at some point because around 2008 I was trying to get all kinds of information about Doctor Who on the internet. That's that's like my main purpose of the internet in 2008. Just trying to get all the information about upcoming episodes of Doctor Who because I wanted to know all the leaks to the point where I wound up on like a website that just gave entirely false leaks. (laughs) You know? I was like, oh my god, this sounds amazing. And it all turns out to be false. And like, okay, (laughs) I guess I can't believe every leak I read. Uh, but Graham Harper really didn't want to show Davros all at once, and he wanted to keep the suspense. And he he found it very hard to show bits of Davros at a time because there's only really three components to uh, to Davros. That's the skirt of a Dalek base, the hand, and the head. Yeah. Basically, there's only three parts of Davros you can really show off. But he does such an amazing job of just suspense, and the lighting is really incredible. Like. Okay, Graham yeah. Harper, what a director. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you know, it was the same with Caves of Androzani. Like, the yeah. lighting in Caves of Androzani is, was like, oh, wait, this looks great. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's like, this is a guy who knows how to work with his DOP uh, to mm. create good-looking sets and shots and make it feel cinematic um, with a TV budget. It's brilliant. Uh, um, but we also, we also get reintroduced to Dalek Khan, in this scene who is a mad dalek who can see the future because he like time traveled or something yeah, this is he, from i think he wound the, up this is from the uh, the daleks take manhattan i think it is yes right? yes with or, andrew garfield wait was that the name uh, of the, the episode human... am i thinking of the angels take manhattan what you're thinking of angels yeah, take manhattan was... i think uh you're the episode is it is not called, called daleks? Dal- daleks daleks in manhattan <laughs> right. uh, okay. and, and then and then evolution of the daleks yeah, okay. um 
which is obviously with the human hybrid uh, human hybrid dalek sexy um uh <laughs> and dalek ha- and the the cult of scarrow is yeah. what they were called i remember loving the cult of scarrow yeah um, that, they were introduced um, in um doomsday right it's been a while since i've yeah. gone back to all these episodes but I, i'm just watching this and i'm like i love the idea of dalek continuity you get reintroduced the Daleks who previously were on the show and you can kind of follow a storyline with all these different Daleks like Daleks with identities is something you don't get and it's kind of yeah, cool that's, yeah like, having a Dalek Dalek with a personality and a name mm-hmm. that you follow through the show like a recurring villain like oh crap this is Dalek Khan this is Dalek Sek this is you know Dalek Bob uh you know <laughs> these are these are all terrifying Dalek no Bob was a weeping angel sorry this is these are all terrifying uh villains that that, that follow us through um, and it goes back to that yeah, common I miss, miss complaint like that. I always come up with whenever we talk about a Dalek episode that's most writers write Daleks like they're robots but Russell yes. D. Davis really wanted to individualize them and make them very own different I, characters. You even, you even get that with the exchange between Davros and the um, Supreme Dalek when, you know, Davros is like, hey, you almost sound prideful right mm. now. Watch your emotions. I thought I wiped you of all that emotion, you know, where it's like, oh, wait, yeah, no, these aren't robots, are they? These are hateful beings that, that aren't supposed to really feel much besides just pure hate, but there's like, a, you know, like that's that's like an ideology, not a reality sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and, you know, these are the Dalek, the Daleks <laughs> are a complex and tragic character. They're not, they're not just these, these bland pew, pew, pew villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do loads with them. And what I love about this little squid is, I used to think this little squid Dalek Khan was CGI, but it's a little puppet. And I just never thought of it yeah, being a, a puppet. puppet. It's insane. It's really good puppetry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely love the puppetry of the Daleks, uh, the Dalek um, squids. Most of the time they are puppets. It's not until... Hmm. Was the, were they puppets in Resolution? I feel like they were CGI I can't then. Remember, um, or it would have been like a it would have been like a mix. But yeah, no. The what I love about Doctor Who in general, because like even Ch- like Chibnall was decent with it until Flux, is the continuation of practical effects for aliens. Yeah. Um, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, we are using big rubber suits. We are, and you know, like even like Chibnall, like he did bring back like you know, uh, the Jadunin and stuff, and he didn't. He like it would have been so easy to make them into CGI rhinos, mm-hmm. but he was like, no, 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 no. Let's let, these are big rubbery fake looking rhino men. Like that is what a Jadun looks like, and it, it just keeps the aesthetic of Doctor Who feeling yeah. so contained. You know, whereas if you look at things like it's the the biggest issue I have ever had with Star Trek is that the um the where oh my god my brain is the goddamn klingons god uh, is the klingons change their appearance in almost every series of star trek that mm. they are in <laughs> like yeah, in yeah, the yeah. original series in the original series star trek they're straight up just dudes they are regular dudes and then by the time you get to next gen you know they've got the big forehead thing going on um and that look, that look stays consistent until you get to Discovery, and then in Discovery they changed it again, and they made them look significantly worse. And then they changed them back again in um, Strange New Worlds, and in Discovery Season 2, because everyone complained about it in Season 1, but you know, it's this this easy to fall into, let's modernize, let's yeah, change yeah, this, yeah. let's redesign uh, when you don't need to fix something that isn't broken. 
Yeah, because um, look at Davros in this episode. I'm cutting a little bit ahead to the obviously the Davros reveal, but that mask that Julian Bleach wears is incredible. Like Julian Bleach is able to have full emotion. He's able to move every fa- every muscle in his body, and that moves Davros's mask. Whereas if you cut back to the seventies, where it's Michael Wisher, he can barely move anything. It just shows you how far techno, uh, how far um, prosthetics has come since then. Yeah, yeah. And you know how you know, the- how easy it is to get uh, better materials for probably cheaper than it would have been in the seventies. Like, like the mask that Julian Bleach wears as Davros is still recognizable as Davros, and yet it's just so much more emotion that's be- being able to put into it. It's incredible work. Yeah, and it's 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 one of the things that you. I think you're we're starting to see more of it again. And honestly, I credit the Force Awakens yeah. for it because you know it, before Force Awakens came out, every big movie was CGI because you know it was CGI was the fun thing, and then Avatar made all the money in the world and had zero practical effects. Um, and then <clears throat> you know Force Awakens comes out, and J.J. Abrams goes, "Oh, actually, let's bring back practical effects." but touch it up with CGI. So you have this blending of the two. And uh, like, you know, the sequels I have many opinions on. (laughs) I have zero complaints about the cinematography or the effects. I think those are superb. They are stunning. And like it crossed over or like bled into the live action TV shows as well, where when the aliens show up, more often than not, they are big puppet men. You know, they are they are people in costumes wearing prosthetics and it adds such a texture mm. and a realism to the environment that you miss when you add or use CGI characters, you know. Uh, so uh, I, I kind of went. I love practical effects, man. I kind of winced when you said that carries on into the TV shows because I, I immediate my mind immediately goes to the volume and how. The volume was really incredible for the first few seasons of the Mandalorian. Ah, I'm not talking about sets. I know, I know, I know, but I'm I'm thinking about how technology has kind of moved on to like the volume and um, now uh, Star Wars feels so limited because you can tell it's just being shot on the volume, (laughs) like yeah, but yeah, everyone's shot. Every all the Star Wars is shot in one that one very small screen. (laughs) uh it's they also like, do the same star trek star trek is also shot yeah. on the volume screen uh like basically every show is like, shot on a volume screen now there was um, that one episode of the mandalorian in season two where they go into a little island with boba fett and you can just tell that they're outside and it's like oh my god we're outside <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> i think that's what made andor so good yes you know, a- yes, Andor yes. was all practical sets, all you know, real locations, and all they didn't use the volume once, and it looks amazing. Yeah, Andor and was a blend. Amazing. Andor was a blend, like using mm-hmm. real life locations, but you know, making this building over here in the background, or uh, making this building extend a little bit, giving this building a different top, and it, it, yeah. Andor was incredible. <laughs> Just yeah, I yeah. I wish every Star Wars series was. It's like crazy. Andor. It's crazy how good Andor was when I was expecting nothing mm. from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because I liked Rogue One. I th- actually I think Rogue One is probably the best Disney movie. Uh, yeah, I would say it is the best Disney movie. But even Rogue One was like all CGI. Yeah. But Rogue One 
worked for CGI, so it looked like model work as well. So it fits into like the seventies aesthetic as well. Like I really liked how yeah. Rogue One did for CGI. Well, for a yeah, most part. I mean, besi- yeah, besides <laughs> besides Sharkface, besides Sharkface Leia, the CGI is very good in Rogue One. Um, really, really do I like Rogue One is decent. Uh, see, I when it comes to Star Wars, my my tastes uh, tend to skew a bit different than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, personally, I think Solo is the best Disney <laughs> uh, Star Wars movie, and I will not explain any further why I uh, why I believe that to be the fact. But Solo <laughs> is underrated as fuck. Um, it's an amazing movie. I uh, <laughs> okay. I, I remember next to nothing about Solo. I had no it's strong worth opinions a either way. But it's worth a revisit. I remember when those trailers came out and i was really pumped up for it because i thought the costume designs and all that looked amazing like the color palettes i thought everything looked amazing and the movie itself was just fine but i think i was just a bit star wars out at that point in time and i'm honestly Mm. a bit star wars out at this moment as well because ahsoka just came out that's very funny because i i couldn't be more into star wars i'm very into star wars i've I've, I've been in star wars my whole life but right now i'm not feeling burned out i've been binging rebels Mm. uh and to try and catch up before ahsoka comes out and sweet christ the season three and four of rebels just hit like it's amazing um it's wild watching it thinking that this was airing on disney xd yeah because like it's so dark like season three and four go into some really dark places and i can't believe like watching that and then like the way some episodes ends and then imagining coming up being like up next sam and cat on disney xd a nickelodeon i don't you know okay you know i didn't want i didn't watch any of these shows but you know that that idea like you know the disney xd sitcom kids sitcom thing you know um yeah, it was uh, just just weird, weird to think that it's such a strange place for it to be because it gets so adult at times uh, in Rebels. It's wild. Uh, Clone Wars was even more adult, and that was on Cartoon Clone Wars Network. is incredible. Yeah, I... yeah, no, but Cartoon Network I feel can skew between mm. like that more mature sort of stuff because they they tend to have a a slightly older audience at times. Whereas Disney XD to me was always like this is where the kid kid shows are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, talking about Cartoon Network, but Cartoon Network is so. Not uh, nobody watches Cartoon Network anymore. Kids don't watch Cartoon Network anymore to the point where they're now extended Adult Swim to start airing older Cartoon Network shows like uh, Dexter's Laboratory and Ed, Ed and Eddie. <laughs> I've been watching some of those Amazing. recently because it, <laughs> I, I think Adult Swim starts at 5 p.m. in America now, which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I never got uh, I never got properly into Rebels. I think I watched like the first three seasons, but it just never hit me the same way that no. uh, the Clone Wars did. Because the Clone yeah. Wars had like three or four episode arcs that felt like classic Doctor Who with better pacing. Because I because <laughs> you know I used to watch like those three or four episode Clone Wars arcs in like one sitting to make it feel like a movie, and then you yeah. move over to Rebels where. It, a lot of the plots are kind of like wrapped up in 20 minutes and it just feels yeah, too quick. Yeah, it's like standalone. Yeah, which I, I'm not a fan of, but I need, I need to get back. Yeah, I, like, I, I might just do a rewatch of all of Star Wars eventually from beginning to end. Yeah. 
when I was when I was binging through Rebels a few years ago, not Rebels, Clone Wars a few years ago, I did the same where I would watch an arc in one sitting mm. because it's like three, four episodes, and then uh, it made it so easy where I could just be like, okay, watch that, okay, go away, watch the next one, go away, watch the next one. And it's just like you just it it works so well. It's such a well made show, and it's genuinely amazing. Like yeah. the, the, but as soon as season three hits, the show just does not oh, stop God, yeah. being incredible. Um, <clears throat> whereas with Rebels, I think it's been a much more slower burn. But season like the latter half of season three into four has just been incredible, and the character works out of nowhere becomes incredible. Um, but I, I think that the early seasons are really tough to get into. Plus the animation difference yeah. in season, like the late seasons of Clone Wars to season one of Rebels, like season one of Rebels looks like trash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know. And Rebels, Rebels doesn't start looking good until season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, and now like in season four, it looks incredible. It's stunning. But yeah, it's the, the animation yeah. quality is, is rough. But anyway, Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, uh, one, one more thing I'll say about it. Uh, Star Wars for Clone Wars. I was going to finish up this conversation anyway, but uh, the Darth Maul episodes, bringing back a villain who didn't really need to be brought back and the death was kind of cheapened, but when he brought back Darth Maul, that was incredible. The Darth Maul episodes was amazing. Like some of the best Star Wars. The Darth Maul episodes and Rebels are incredible as well. They are just shockingly good. But yeah, Um, Doctor Who. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we then we get we cut to Martha, uh, not Martha, Donna sitting on. Some oh, stairs. easy to get confused. Uh, we look so. Alike. Yeah, they... <laughs> <laughs> Donna sitting on some stairs, being like in shock or suffering from PTSD from yeah. the events of Turn Left, or there's she... something going on. Yeah, we get just kind of like slow panning on her, and you yeah. hear her heart beat. So I presume she must be having some kind of panic attack because. You obviously would be when your entire planet explodes, which is again, go back to Chibnall when you know when Earth is in when the Earth could be eaten by flux. You don't really get any sense of a companions feeling like, oh my god, my family is dead. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. there's no sense uh, of family tension there. No, never. Um, but she gets approached by a weird blonde lady who's like, oh, I'm sorry for all the pain that you have. Uh, and she's like, what? Okay, thanks. And she's like, no, I meant in the future, whenever, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm this, you're going to have a bad time. Wink, wink, wink. Um, yeah. And like, like it's, it's really strange. And I guess it's, it's, it's technically like, you know, it's to make the audience go, oh no, what does that mean? What's going yeah. on? But it, it feels forced. Like it doesn't feel that, like, why does this, why is this lady able to see the future? Yeah. Like they, these people weren't even like the shadow proclamation in this like earlier scene were like time lords don't exist they're a rumor how could someone time travel and now this lady's like i've seen the future and you're in trouble uh you know so i it's it it feels like this weird fit and just to kind of shoehorn in this so that we're ready for the bad stuff to happen to donna as an audience um at the same time it's tragic and makes me cry (laughs) uh, yeah i I agree (laughs) with you i don't like I'm not. I'm. I'm with Russell Davis when I don't like psychic stuff in general, just for the sake of having psychic stuff. Because I feel like a lot of Russell Davis uses a lot of psychic stuff. I remember the woman on the bus in the Planet of yeah. the Dead being psychic and being like, "He will knock four times," and that's the whole like a lot of, you know, a lot of 
plot lines revolve around psychic people and I just I never re- really liked that because it's a cheap way of foreshadowing the plot I feel like it's it is a cheap way of foreshadowing having someone see the future and then be like oh mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen is, is is definitely a cheap way of doing it but also it's the easiest way of doing it yeah like it's really hard how, like how else do you foreshadow that Donna's gonna like like you know have to absorb become dr donna and you know do all this like stuff and get her memory wiped like how do you prepare an audience for that but but also uh, you know an do, audience do mostly of kids do you like, need to prepare yeah, but, i don't think you need to <laughs> yeah that's you don't i don't know if you need to but it could become jarring hmm. you know to like as uh, if you if you do something with no setup then as an audience you feel taken aback mm-hmm. you know you need to set the pieces in the at the start of your story where you're like okay this is gonna happen or this might happen or you're like when you look back at this later on you'll be like oh my god of course how did i miss that like there's like a moment earlier in this season when like doctor or like donna's saying something like oh doctor and donna that sounds good doesn't it dr donna maybe i'll become a doctor and it's like you know oh crap how did i like how did i not connect that like, you're saying dr donna right now at the start of this season mm-hmm. when you know the obviously this is the dr donna arc um if whereas if you were to just be like nothing 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 and now oh by the way donna's dead uh essentially um it it feels cheap i think to an audience to just kill off characters like oh crap but at the same time <laughs> like like game of thrones you know mm-hmm. will kill off a character like would kill off a character um just because like hey that that would happen in real life yeah you know same with buffett if that guy yeah like if that guy was if like this is war like this is a character you liked he had a great personality but he was in a battle and he died uh and it's like oh crap but he just died in that battle it's like yeah no like that's what would happen in life you know sometimes people die in battles yeah uh and sometimes those people were really cool interesting characters but it just got cut short um so it re- i guess it really depends on the tone <laughs> of the show but for doctor who you know it's a kid show yeah they're 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 leaning towards a younger audience i get the feeling of needing to set up the twist or the the reveal or the tragedy or something like that but yeah the psychic stuff is like you know i i feel like having cheap. donna sit there and having a mini panic attack and just I guess the sense is that she's feeling kind of some sort of impending doom that's kind of coming towards her. I feel like that is enough to like put you in a sense of I I don't think Donna's gonna be fine here. I think something bad's gonna happen to Donna. Like I don't know. I I, I, I just don't yeah. like the psychic stuff where you just have a random character be like, oh, there's something on your back, and also you're gonna die soon. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. Yeah. I'm just I you know I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm trying to trying to see the trying to come up with a thought process behind you. it. But also also like the Donna having a panic attack stuff. I forgot happens. Yeah. Like it. I doesn't really play into this episode in any way or ever come back like it does in, it later in previous on. episodes. It, yeah. Like it's you know it's it's it, I forgot it happened on it. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wait, okay." Um, but yeah. But uh but this is also where we find out bees are al- some bees are aliens. Yeah, Not all of them. Um, some of them. The doc- some, some of the bees are aliens. Uh, the doctor asks Donna something has been if something strange has been happening on Earth lately, and Donna's like, hmm, not really, but the bees have been disappearing. Um, the doctor's like, 
bees disappearing? What the fuck? You're so fucking stupid. What the fuck are you talking about? Wait a minute. Bees disappearing. That's it. <laughs> like, he does the classic <laughs> thing he did in Rose. Uh, so when he did uh, the thing in um, the portion of the ways where he sends Rose away, when Rose is like, why don't we, we just meet her? Why don't we just cross our own timelines? And the doctor's like, oh, that won't work. Wait, it will work. Rose, yeah. run to the TARDIS. <laughs> like... Like it's, it's just a general. Yeah, at least this time he's not, he's not. He's not tricky. He's not tricking her this time. You know, he's he's not tricking her. But yeah, this, uh, but it's also it's 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 also just like, uh, you know, uh, very. I I feel like it's a very British way, but it's just a very generalized, witty way of writing a character where you make them be like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah. And then they say like it's like the question mark, full stop, exclamation mark. It's like you know, bees disappearing bees disappearing bees disappearing you know it's like the classic like oh that's a funny way of writing a sentence yeah yeah, yeah. you know um <laughs> uh, but yeah bees disappearing was a real life thing that happened around this time in 2008 the british beekeepers association reported that the bee population in the uk dropped around 30 percent between 2007 and 2008 and efsa study revealed that in italy the mortality rate was 40 to 50 percent and in 1901, Albert Einstein, the star of Oppenheimer, said that if a bee disappeared <laughs> off the pl- face of the earth, men would only have four years left to live. So this, so a bee, also, I remember stories about bees disappearing and they never did seem to disappear because I still see bees. <laughs> What's going on with that? Climate, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it was getting hotter. <laughs> Climate hoax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I remember, I remember being a kid and bees disappearing was a huge thing. Yeah. I, you know, I remember, I remember that being a huge, that was like Bermuda Triangle levels are huge, where it was like the bees are running out at a rapid rate and then people just kind of stopped talking about yeah. it. And I, st- yeah, I still see bees. Some years I see lots of bees. I've seen lots of bees this year. Um, but I don't see, I, I've seen like three wasps the last five years. Good. Fuck like I, I, <laughs> I, I haven't, it's been so long since I've seen like, like, cause it used to be, I remember like, you know, you'd get a year where there's loads of wasps and it sucks, but then the next year there's lots of bees and it's okay. Uh, you know, and then like, there was kind of like a year on year off thing. Obviously they mingle and stuff, but it's yeah. just like this encounter system that they set up in the matrix that we're all living in. And then like, um, I just see less. I just see less. Mm-hmm. But there's less bugs in general yeah. just out there, which is, you know, nothing nothing to worry about, I guess. Don't, uh, wor- don't think too hard <laughs> about why there's no bugs outside your window. Yeah, that- why you can have your window open all summer and get one fly in your house. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that reminds uh, <laughs> me of a common thing that's been going around recently. Just people thinking... I haven't had any insects hit my windshield recently. Like, I used to go on long trips and have insects cover my windshield, but that doesn't happen anymore. Um, I just looked up the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Sorry. Easy for Uh, you to say. (laughs) After suffering severe winter losses beginning in 2007, the honeybee population is making a comeback. Still, losses are high, which means beekeepers have to spend a lot of time and money replacing their bees. So they're coming back, but still, there's still losses, so not the growth you want. But well, still, it's it's nice. It's good to see that the B movie was effective <laughs> in its messaging. I came out um, in two thousand and seven, around the same time. I wonder if it's a coincidence. It wasn't. It was, the bees were saved by Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, the bees all burned in a theater watching the B movie. <laughs> That's what happened. 
Yes. Um, I remember uh, being kind of happy that bees were disappearing because I'm allergic to bees. But then I realized, oh shit, we kind of need bees, don't we? <laughs> I have never been stung by a bee nor a wasp. Um, Actually, I'm not sure and... which one I'm allergic to. I just know when I was a kid, I was in my nana's garden. I got stung by something and wound up having to go to hospital. Mm. So we think it's bees. It mm. could be wasps. It could be anything, really. <laughs> that's 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 really fun and cool. That's really fun. Yeah. And cool. So I've never been stung. Never been stung by anything more than like a nettle. So lucky you. <laughs> yeah. Just safe. I'm just safe and cool. Uh, but we find out that the Daleks have been taking planets not only out of space but out of time as well so nobody would really notice but also like if they're taking them out of time Mm -hmm. and space why don't they take the planets out of all out of different times because they only take like two or three from different times and then everyone else they're like ah we'll grab you at the same time because that's why everyone catches on because they're like oh my god 20 odd planets have disappeared at once and then donna's like but what about these two other planets and they're like ah they disappeared thousands of years ago so like why did the daleks take two planets from thousands of years ago and then 20 from the same time why not take 20 from like thousands of years apart each and then no one would have caught on to this plan you, you always tend to ask me these kind of questions and I have no response because it's just all kind of mumbo-jumbo to me. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> it's, it's an important question. I, I want to know the answer, Scott. Why did you write that to be like that? Why did it fix it for me? Because Why I didn't did think of it, it okay? That's my fault, okay? I'm sorry. But we then get a very funny scene where the Doctor and Donner run into the TARDIS to be like, oh, we, we, you know, we can go back and we know what the problem is. Uh, and, and before uh, they leave... Donna's the... like, oh, well, stop talking and do it. And the doctor's yeah. running behind her and she, he's like, I am! <laughs> yeah, <is> really funny. <laughs> uh, and uh, as they're about to get into the TARDIS, the, the Shadow Proclamation lady is like, wait, you can't go anywhere, Doctor. And the doctor's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, she's like, hey, uh, you know, we're at war now. We have to, we have to use, you're going to command us. We're going to use your TARDIS. We're going to take on the dialects. We're going to fight everybody. You know, we're going to succeed. And the doctor's like, Oh yeah, no, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll help you fight your war. That's cool. I'll just go get you the, the keys <laughs> to the TARDIS. Uh, and then he like closes the door and immediately just runs and hits the, yeah. um, fly brilliant. button on the, the TARDIS and causes it to disappear. And it is, it is brilliant. It's very fun. It's such a, a great little character beat, you know. I guess we do see the Shadow Proclamation again in the end of time, don't we? Do we? I feel like we see them again we... somewhere. What episode? What happens in the Shadow end of time? Of... I don't know if we see the Shadow Proclamation. We, I, I know we hear them. We at least hear a doctor say the word Shadow Proclamation. Again, I'm pretty sure. You know? I'm pretty sure we see this woman again. I'm sure. Sh- Oh, they're in the Magician's Apprentice. Are they really? Yeah. Like, they're in the opening scene after uh, the Doctor is in the giant tank. And they're looking for the Doctor or something. What oh, episode my... is the Magician's Apprentice? It's what a Davros two-parter. Series 9. I don't remember the Shadow Proclamation being in that episode. At... In this place, an envoy of Davros is searching for the Doctor. He demands it. Later, in the silence and the Shadow Proclamation, the Shadow Architect refuses to tell Sarif where the Doctor is. So it's like the Snake Man, I think, was looking for them, and we went to this lady 
They show up in series nine, the same woman. That's crazy. I can't. I cannot. We're wait covering. Yeah, era I've got it on a schedule for like next September, so a year from now we'll probably cover this episode if, if if we get to it. I don't know, <laughs> but that's not a definite promise for any listeners. But we'll get to it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because. You feel like Julian Bleach has been in more episodes as Davros, but it's only been two stories. I feel like he needs to come back. I would love to see him come back. He's so good as Davros. He is. He is superb as Davros, and his like what I liked, what I, like what I love about the Capaldi episode is the relationship with him yes. and the Doctor. Like the two, the two of them just acting together. Mm-hmm. It's like I could watch this all day. I could watch it all day. Yeah, like, that, that's probably never gets old. That's probably the weakest point of this two-parter here is there's not much time for the Doctor and Davros to get one-on-one time because there's so much at stake here. Because the whole universe being destroyed is huge, and we don't get enough emotional beats between the Doctor and the villain. Whereas in in the uh, Capaldi two-parter, the best parts of that episode are just when the Doctor and Davros are chatting to each other and the Doctor is sitting on the only chair on Scarrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the episode continues as we get some harrowing scenes of the Daleks killing <sighs> innocent civilians. Um, it echoes back to me to the Series 2 final. Yes. With um, Or the Series 3 final, sorry. Um... Mm. with the camps that Saxon is like rounding everybody up into um oh yeah 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 Yeah, it is series three i'm also thinking of uh series two where the cybermen are marching from house to house destroying families and shit do you remember yes or they like storm through a front door of a family's house and they're like yeah you're dead (laughs) yeah there's lots of recurring themes in yeah. Russell Z. Davis's finals. Um, that's yeah, it's yeah, three no, finals it's... in a row where the villains are like going <laughs> yeah. from house to house. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this is the first time the Daleks do location filming since Remembrance of the Daleks, which is insane. Twenty years, the first time they've done location filming since the classic series. That's insane to think about, and just how well the Daleks operate because obviously we're on little boards here rather than um, just going free style on the actual ground. Because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Looking all nervous with the puddles <laughs> and gravel. Yeah. Um, but this scene is amazing because obviously if Wilfred is in this scene and his experience in World War Two probably is flashing back to him, you know, as he's watching the Daleks round up civilians like Nazis. This is, like, one of the most... um, This is one of the most visually scenes where the Daleks are kind of Nazis, you know? (laughs) You know, it's like... It's like... Yeah, but it's... Again, it's like in series three when um, Wilfred is like, oh my god, it's happening again. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm surprised, you know, it's happening again, again. Um, oh, yeah, that's another thing again, last for, episode like, also had. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my god, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but he was a Greek man who was rounded up to labor. Oh, camp. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, yeah <laughs> he just yeah. had that as well. It's four episodes. We- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's powerful stuff though. <laughs> when a villain, it, it, yeah, it somehow it doesn't lose its impact no. seeing it that often. 
it, it doesn't lose its impact, you know, it's still um, poignant and, and mm -hmm. decent. But yeah, this is this is where uh, Wilfred is like, it's okay, I have a paint gun, <laughs> I'll be able to blind the Daleks, which, as far as I'm aware, was a genuine idea Bernard Cribbins had. Yes, I've, I've actually got um, this in my notes. Um, when he got the yes. script pages, Bernard Cribbins phoned Russell T. Davis and excitedly said... Did you know I faced the Daleks before? And Russell T. Davis is like, yeah, I've, I've seen the film. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I love your work. <laughs> I mean, Bernard Cribbins just comes up with this idea. And obviously, when a national treasure like Bernard Cribbins comes with you with an idea of, what if I try to defeat a Dalek with a paintball gun? You've got to fit it in there somehow. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's perfect. And obviously, in the classic series, Daleks would get easily defeated by being blinded like this like the very first episode you uh, could push over a dalek yeah you could push no over deal. a dalek he could throw just, mud it's in his eye and just yeah but um the, the classic line whenever a dalek gets blinded is my vision is impaired but when bernard cribbins as wilf uh hits the eyeball of a dalek with a paintball gun uh, Vitalik says, my vision is not impaired <laughs> which is a really fun <laughs> twist on the line <laughs> It is. Uh, and then he goes, the Dalek goes to kill uh, Wilfred and uh, Donna's mum, whose name has left my head. Sylvia. And yeah. Um, and for the briefest of moments, you're like, oh crap. You know, because again, this is a, a hopeless situation we find beloved characters in. Yeah. Um, until the, the Dalek itself explodes in a huge hero reveal for Rose. Um, is this the this is this is the first time she meets um like wolf properly and stuff yeah this is the first yeah um, well i guess did, mm, did did they meet in turn left i don't know i think she only communicated with donna in turn left. Donna, like she would yeah. always show up when donna was alone so i don't think she communicated yeah. with wolf i could be mistaken yeah. it's been a year since i've seen the episode but i feel like yeah she only communicates with donna as like a I think the intent there was is Donna going insane because she always shows up when she's alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still it's a it's a badass reveal yes. of Rose, um, who's like an action star in in this these episodes. Well, I like, like, you know, as a kid, you know, obviously as an adult and as a teenager, I had varying opinions on Rose and her mm. relationship with the Doctor, but as a kid, I loved Rose. I thought her relationship with the Doctor was amazing. I absolutely thought she was brilliant. And this, like, this turn of her from being 19-year-old, oh, like, love hearts in her eyes, looking up at the Doctor, being like, oh my god, you're the most wonderful person ever, to holding a gun and blowing up Daleks is the best character development off a companion like it's brilliant um where she just becomes a genuine like badass character um yeah it's it's good stuff i was infatuated with rose as a kid like i think she was like one of my first major crushes billy piper <laughs> like as a kid as a seven-year-old kid um and i just loved the rose character but there's some points in this episode and next episode where my love for rose kind of fell apart but we'll get to that i think <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's such an emotional roller coaster. Um, yeah, <laughs> a, a roser coaster, if you will. 
with with opinions on Rose. Yeah. Um, but is that is that us caught up? Uh, we've got up two more scenes left. Uh, we cut to the uh, Donna's house and does does Wilf live with Donna and Sylvia? I guess he does. Yeah, I I always thought that he did. He's like you know because. I presume that his wife isn't around anymore and Donna's mm. dad isn't around anymore. So it's like, okay, dad can move back in, you know, like granddad can move back in with us. You know, he needs somebody, we need somebody sort of thing. Yeah. That's, uh, I always imagined that they did live together. Again, it's such an amazing thing that something so positive came out of such a tragic situation where Donna's dad was going to return to series four and he shot scenes for episode one. But he sadly died of cancer and they wound up getting Bernard Cribbins, who was just so phenomenal in this in this role. Like, I, I can't imagine not having Bernard Cribbins in this role. He is so good and it's just such a happy thing to come out from such a sad situation. I love how they also pay attention to the fact that Donna's dad is dead. So in the final episode, in the final moments of The End of Time, they do reference donna's dad which is really lovely because he bought he gave uh david Tennant the pound coin to buy the lottery ticket the winning lottery ticket which is lovely oh yeah that's great um so yeah uh, what, what i love about this scene is the fact that sylvia has just made herself a cup of tea like she's just gone on about her day <laughs> she's like oh i guess this will blow over soon Look. Let's have, let's have a quick cup British of tea. Response possible. <laughs> it's the most British Daleks are invading again. You know, the earth's been getting destroyed. You know, neighbors are getting killed. I'm just going to put the kettle on and hope they don't knock on the door. Yeah, go for like, a, go to the Winchester and wait for it all to blow over. Yeah, just wait for this all to blow over. Like, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, Bernard Cribbins has to be like, Sylvia, darling. <laughs> This isn't going to end. Donna's in danger. This shit isn't. This shit is real. You can't deny it. Which is, I'm glad Wilf is like one of the rare characters to be like believing in aliens because obviously most other characters forget about aliens, which is apparently going to be a plot point in the 60th anniversary specials where uh, there's a big explosion in the sky and an alien spaceship crash lands and everybody's looking up. I mean, all of a sudden everyone pulls out their phones and just goes on about their business, which is interesting that it comes back as in i'm interested to see what we're going to do with this kind of storyline in the 60th anniversary yeah uh we then get the tardis appearing in like what looks like a nebula of sorts it's 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 a pretty nice looking yeah shot. it's it's called the medusa uh, cascade which again yes. we go back to things being referenced in previous episodes this was mentioned by the master in the last of the time wars and he said to the Doctor that he sealed the rift at the Medusa Cassade. And the Doctor in this episode reveals that he came here when he was a kid, when he was just 90 years old. Which is insane. 90 year just old kid. Just don't think about it. 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 Because <laughs> uh, I, I like... Again, like maybe the doctor's using Earth years to for his age, or you know, like maybe ninety years on Gallifrey is worth nine years on Earth. Like, you know, time is iffy, age is iffy. The doctor lies. Don't worry about his age. Also, how do time lords even age? 
with regeneration because you can regenerate into different stages like don't worry about yeah, it like, just, um, just don't worry like, about should it should he got could regenerate into like a two-year-old baby i guess he he would be technically a kid but how long if he regenerated into a two-year-old baby how long does he stay as a two-year-old baby like obviously also the, <laughs> the doctor seems to track his age though he doesn't track his age through his regeneration mm-hmm. So, so, so like, because, like, David Tennant was like, oh, I'm 900 years old. And then Matt Smith was like, oh, I'm 1,200. And then Capaldi's like, I'm fucking, like, two and a half thousand years old. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> God, it's so uh, complicated. So, so, like, there's, like, a linear, like, age for the mm-hmm. doctor, regardless of how old his regeneration yeah. is. So, he, if he regenerates into a child, he doesn't stop being... 2,000, 3,000 years old. He's still 3,000 years old. He's just a baby in that body. So, like, if the doctor saying that he was just a kid at 90 years old, I assume that, you know, maybe maybe he's talking metaphorically. Maybe he was in, like, yeah. a teenager's yeah, body maybe. or, like, a young adult. And he was like, you know, I was just a kid back then because I was only 90. I'm 900 now. <laughs> yeah, like, so a lot like of maybe, people consider... Maybe a lot of people think back to themselves as like a 25 year old when they were like 17 yeah. thinking yeah i was a kid when i was 25 <laughs> i guess yeah you know it's yeah maybe it's maybe it's that that sort of like i'm so old now like i was just a kid back then sort of thing rather than he ages like he's yoda yeah. and <laughs> yeah don't even get me started on like grogu because i don't like the fact that grogu is 50 years old and yet hasn't said it makes a single sense word. i don't it like makes, it i don't it makes, like it I, it makes sense though, it, it make, because they live for so long, so their development takes longer. Like yeah. it makes sense. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, but yeah, no. It's uh, then the doctor's like, uh, the trail just kind of ends here. It goes cold. There's nothing we can do. We're stuck. And Donna's like, what? What do you mean we're stuck? Don't just. What are you just giving up for? And the doctor just kind of stares at her dejectedly. And it's a weird scene to have yeah. halfway through this episode with the doctor just immediately giving up at the first hurdle. Uh, like... Yeah, all he's all he's done in this episode is step out of the TARDIS, greet a milkman, go into the TARDIS, realize that the get Earth's out the TARDIS. moved, get out the yeah. TARDIS, get back into the TARDIS, look out into space. And then just stand there. Like, it's, it's so weird that the Doctor... Like, most episodes of Doctor Who have the Doctor as a main character. The Doctor and the Companion, main character, they're in almost every single scene. But in this episode, I think David Tennant has, like, four, five scenes? Which is yeah. kind of wild. <laughs> like, he isn't the main yeah. character in this show, and he has nothing to do in this episode. Which sounds like I'm saying it negatively, but you never think about the fact that the doctor has nothing to do in this episode because it it's so, it's paced so well and we've just spent three hours talking about 25 minutes of television <laughs> <laughs> i mean it'll be yeah i know we have uh, christ um yeah, anyway <laughs> the episode continues uh <laughs> The episode continues as we cut to uh, Gwen sitting in Torchwood, looking very sad. And, then, and you can um, tell she's in Torchwood because of a Torchwood logo <laughs> right above her. Again, this goes back to what we talked about in the Torchwood episode. It is so weird, but it tor- hidden Torchwood base has the Torchwood logo plastered everywhere. And also, I think we have... I mean, it's, it's the same... <laughs> It's, you know, we've been talking about Avengers a lot in this, but it's the same with, like, you know, like, Avengers HQ has yeah. Avengers logo <laughs> everywhere. S.H.I.E.L.D. have S.H.I.E.L.D. logos everywhere for a super <laughs> secret organization. Right. 
Um, and also, I think there are some points where they have, like, the Torchwood logo on their van as well when they're driving around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. I think the absolute countryside has that featured prominently, which is which yes, is always does. funny. <laughs> like, everyone in Cardiff knows about Torchwood. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it also, that reminds me of one thing we, uh, when we were on the Shadow Proclamation scene, we were like, oh, they never really came back. Actually, they did come back in the Davros 2 part, and I just watched that scene last night because um, we're doing a different day recording here. This is the next day. Don't tell anyone. Shush, this is all one recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's why but, we're wearing the same clothes right now. But it's so... F- I, well, I am wearing the same clothes. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the strange thing about the return of the Shadow Proclamation is... It was only one scene where this dude is looking for the doctor and he goes on to the same place, but instead of like an empty office building, it's now an empty art museum. I don't understand what's going on with the Shadow Proclamation. It's weird. They just, they just, they got some, they got the budget for decorations, (laughs) you know, before the walls were white. Now they can put some paintings up, make it nice. Yeah. And instead of like two women and like six Jadoon, it's just one woman and one Jadoon wearing a helmet. <laughs> you can't even afford <laughs> Jadoon walking around. <laughs> it's really weird. Interesting. I, I need to rewatch that episode. Um, weird. Yeah, uh, but the episode continues on as we, we basically cut to all the companions and their respective parents and or grandparents uh, all looking sad and miserable because, you know, right now the doctor's looking sad and miserable. Um, and this is the, oh, we've lost all hope. There's nothing we can mm-hmm. do, which is, I think, really strange to have ha- to happen in the first half of the first episode yeah. of a two-parter <laughs> to already, like, the Daleks show up and everyone just goes, oh, we're fucked. Fuck. Shit. And they just give up. Uh, it's it's this weird, weird pacing uh like because the episode's moving like a thousand miles a minute um and it's just like everyone gives up by the halfway point which is a weird way i to, mean to structure it but i mean it does work it's yeah, still it, fun and exciting but the episode is moving so quick we're already at the point where they're giving <laughs> up halfway through the episode you know yeah that's what i like about this two-parter part one feels so different to part two even though it's all the same characters basically and we are still dealing with the same threat. It just feels like a completely different two-parter, you know? And, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah this scene is really nice because you do feel hopeless in this situation. What else could what else could they do in this situation? And then suddenly, uh, the Time Lord heartbeat kind of goes through the, um, the computers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Um, yeah the master comes which back is... which is shocking <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the master in the shape of harriet jones former prime minister uh i really like harriet jones yeah uh and like i love her whole story that she goes on when she becomes prime minister and then she gets like full of herself and the doctor destroys her career and remember when like if you were doing a political part and the prime minister was in it they would be like a prominent character mm-hmm. with like you know because you know they're a big important part of the culture and the country identity uh if you're having a prime minister it's weird to just have them be like a side character or an extra that would get killed on tv that 
Um, you know, it's this this is this continuity we're talking about with Russell T. Davis. Yeah, yeah. What I love about Harriet Jones is she feels like she's in more episodes than she is. If you had a guess, how many episodes do you think Harriet Jones was actually in without having to do any math in your head? Like, uh. Three. Okay, yeah, she was only in four episodes. This is her Ooh. fourth episode, oh, but so you feel like she's a series regular rather than a guest star who's only been on the show four times because she's just such a strong character, and Penelope Wilton plays the role so so good. Like she's such a strong character. I guess it feels like a character. It feels like she she, she was in millions of episodes. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. She's very iconic. Yeah, Penelope Wilton was near impossible to book, and this is why her scene was only filmed one day on this one location. If she wasn't available, Mr. Copper from Voyage of the Damned would be back, or Elton from uh, Love and Monsters, the, the main character from Love and Monsters, which would have been so wild to come back, or Jessica yeah. Hines as Jones's grandchild. Jessica Hines played uh, Joan from Human Nature. Yeah, Human Nature. <laughs> so, so either way, yeah, yeah, those cameos yeah. would be fun. But I think Harriet Jones is a perfect cameo, and it kind it really does redeem her character after the Christmas Invasion. Yeah, yeah. And um, this uh, this was it's... filmed in an actual tiny cottage in a tiny village, nicknamed Dinky Poo. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Uh, but as they they all like get on these webcam calls and more and more people start joining and Rose is able to listen in as well from her computer because she's getting the call but she's not able to participate in the call because um, she's not it's like she's just watching it she's not actually in it yeah um, it's, it's because little, um, it's creep. yeah it's um, through the will uh, it's through the nobles family computer and they couldn't get a webcam yeah. because um, according to uh, Wilf. He says, but Sylvia didn't never let him have a webcam because webcams are naughty. <laughs> They're naughty, yes. <laughs> which, which is, um, which is such a great joke because it's perfect for Wolf to say in a situation like it. It fits his character completely. It fits Sylvia's character completely that she wouldn't allow her dad to have a webcam because it's naughty. <laughs> like it's just such a perfect joke. <laughs> yes, it is. It's great. Um, but then they're like, oh, we've got one of the Doctor's companions coming through, and it's Martha. We were talking at her ass yeah. when we said that she's going to come <laughs> back. Um, it's, it's been, this is a long episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everyone's like, wow, Martha's back. Wowee, she teleported to her mom's house yeah. uh, because of magic. Don't worry about it. Now she's on Skype. Yeah, um, her mom's here just for a sole reason of, you know, you're bringing back everyone. Might as well bring back Martha's mom as well. She she doesn't really do much in this episode apart from sit alongside Martha. And then later on she goes outside, I think. <laughs> That's all yeah. she does. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's also, like, it leads to Rose being, like, snippy to, towards Martha. Like, yeah. Basically just to herself because no one can hear her. Because everyone's like, oh, Martha used to work with the doctor. She was the doctor's companion, blah, blah, blah. And Rose is like, uh, actually, I was. I'm like, dude. Captain Jack's mm, right there. Mm, 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 like, yeah, it, 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 it bothers me because that, that's a trait I don't like about Rose. Her whole I was here first isn't even true yeah. because also on the call is Sarah Jane Smith who was there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Like... <laughs> 
Rose Tyler was like 40th. She was here 40th, and that's not including the Big Finish audio companion. So, <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's it was it was annoying. Um, but like you know, minor complaint. Yeah, but it's it's those those certain characterizations of Rose that make me sour on her yeah. as a companion as an adult you know where i'm like ah but that bit kind of that bit kind of rubs me i wish you didn't do that i wish that bit was slightly different but you know overall i'm still i still very much love rose she's amazing but mm-hmm. um and then of course uh captain jack runs over to the computer after being defeated and he's like who the hell's this and then harriet jones sticks off her id to the webcam is like harriet jones former prime minister and captain jack's <laughs> like yeah i know who you are and that's a that's a great recurring joke that happens three times in this episode which it does happen three russell times episode, russell really yes. which happens way too quickly in succession because it's half because she's only here for like 10 minutes if that <laughs> keeps, keeps introducing herself yeah uh. and also uh, when we're all in the webcam in the zoom call together sarah jane smith is like i've been staying away from you lot because you know i'm basically a cbbc show i'm you rated you're 18 rated on bbc3 torchwood i'm never gonna get anywhere near you <laughs> and also jack uh, also jack is flir- flirting with sarah jane smith which i like <laughs> yeah and, she, and yeah, she's very I mean, flattered it. by it <laughs> you know captain jack will flirt with anything um and anyone uh but they they go on to talk to be like hey we developed this call system thing because we knew that one day the doctor just wouldn't show up because gosh darn he can't be everywhere at once even though he literally can um (laughs) but (laughs) uh, yeah but they've developed this thing which is weird because isn't that what unit is isn't unit there for when the doctor like yeah. doesn't show up isn't that also what torchwood is for yeah. and also the sarah jane adventures are for for yeah. when the doctor doesn't show up so like, like this is a new idea you've come up with <laughs> like, like like the next season of torchwood is all about the fact that the doctor can't be there to save everyone and <laughs> they have to take care <laughs> of things themselves um yeah we're we're talking over the subwave network which harriet jones reveals as a sentient network invented by the mr copper foundation and obviously mr copper is from voyage of the damned um he, uh, the doctor last left him with a credit card with like a million pounds on it or whatever and he obviously yes. spent the money really well you know which is really nice yeah, it's yeah. a really nice little reference you wouldn't necessarily catch up on but i don't i don't think you caught it <laughs> i didn't uh and it was uh Voyage of the Damned, if you want to listen to our review on that, you can. You can. It's called Voyage of the Damned is Better Than You Think. We covered it, like, last year? Oh, was the it year last before, year? I think. Two years ago? Was it that long ago? I can't... It's I don't want it to be that time. long ago. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not been a long time. It's not been that long It's almost ago. been three oh, years, God. I think. Nah, you're lying to me. <laughs> Um, keep talking. I'm looking for it. It's, it's, it's um, going, you, going far down the list. You can't just search for it. It's too late. I'm, I'm closer to the bottom than I am the top now. Nice. Uh, <laughs> That's what she oh. said. <laughs> are you? Are you still? Are you it. really struggling? <laughs> are you blind? I must have gone past it. Uh, Go on our YouTube channel I, and just search. Too late. For I'm looking at the audio version. Um, oh, you fucking nerd! <laughs> uh, 
That was a year ago, episode 33 on the 24th of December 2021, so almost two years ago. Insane. Almost two years ago, we covered Voyage of the Damned on Christmas Eve that that episode came out. That was episode 33 of the podcast. Yeah, our very first Christmas special we covered, and one of the only Christmas specials we've covered. We still have a lot of Christmas episodes to cover. (laughs) That was that was episode thirty three. We are currently on episode one hundred and sixteen. That's insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they continue on talking about how you know they need to get all their like technology phones and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and then send them <laughs> through the signal to text the doctor like this sos beacon <laughs> essentially um and if they do that though the daleks are going to find out where yeah. harriet jones lives because it'll be traced back to coming from her house um which you know leads to a sweet moment of captain jack like saluting her goodbye and stuff like that um yeah it's really nice as... that this for- almost forgotten character from the christmas invasion like i think three years two and a half years ago basically is kind of recognized yeah. in this way and given a proper send off, which is really lovely. You know, instead of just yeah. wandering away, she gets a proper send off here. I love it. Yeah, and it then leads to a very funky montage <laughs> with some 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 very good music. Uh, as oh, everybody great is music. like, everybody's like plugging in technology and texting on their phones, <laughs> and it's very two thousand and eight. Uh, <laughs> it's really well edited, though, and also yeah, just Murray Go- the Murray Gold score of uh, just the vocalization stuff. Hoo ha! <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. It really gets you pumped. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of why why I like particularly with Murray Gold scores is the vocalizations. Yeah, you know, especially in the Russell T Davis get less era. Off. Yeah, yeah, and you know, with a bigger budget, thanks to Disney's partnership with Doctor Who. We're probably going to get vocalizations back, which I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, as they're sending out this signal, we cut briefly to Davros being like, ha ha ha, the timeless child, I mean, the children of time are <laughs> p- you know, having, are, are following exactly what we thought they would be doing. All our filter plan is coming together. Mwah ha 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 ha. Uh, which is some very fun, cheesy, like, arch-villain yeah. sort of stuff where it's like, ah, the good guys think they're winning, but really they're playing right into my hand, Pearl Mustache. Um, <laughs> it's, but it, it is handled well. It's lit amazingly. I Like, Davros looks... He has never looked cooler than he does cast in that shadow with the, the metal s- circles behind him. Yeah. Like, there's... there's peak looking davros he looks amazing and I, and as a kid i don't think either of us really knew what davros looked like so just the mystery yeah. of this man in a dalek chair basically was it very intriguing to us such a great way of just keeping his face away from us for that long <laughs> yeah uh and then as the they're sending out the text and stuff like that they catches on to the tardis and just kind of the TARDIS explodes mm-hmm. like it just the TARDIS just suddenly starts to combust as the TARDIS loves to do <laughs> in series finals yeah. uh, <laughs> also also the doctor is using a stethoscope on the phone to yeah. guess uh get the signal Listen better to its heartbeat yeah <laughs> 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 he's just checking he's checking for a lung infection uh as the uh 
the the TARDIS starts traveling back through time and then the Daleks show up on yes. Harriet Jones's door and uh, they line up and she goes, oh, I'm Harriet Jones, former <laughs> prime minister. And it's a great line with the Daleks like, yes, we know. And then they all zap, zap her dead. But, you know, I like it every now and then when yeah. a Dalek has a good joke. You know, a Dalek sassy being funny Daleks. doesn't happen often. Yeah, I love a sassy Dalek. It's great. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Harriet Jones was only here for like seven or eight minutes. You know, this scene is seven or eight yeah. minutes long and she Literally, makes she an gets impact. She and then killed in the same scene. <laughs> yeah, right? she makes such an impact in just her one scene. It's incredible. And again, just a, such a great exit for someone who may be forgotten about by most of the viewers and was like, yeah, I remember Harriet Jones now. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Continuity. Yeah, I love great. the continuity. It's so good. See, I, I definitely knew who Harriet Jones was because uh, at this point I had so many Doctor Who cards and Doctor Who books and magazines that I had I had read and reread everything. I knew the ins and outs of every character uh, in series one to four of Doctor Who. I was just obsessed with it. Um, I think around this time. time this episode aired I was obsessed with Shaun of the Dead so and she's great oh. in Shaun of the Dead as Simon Pegg's mom so when yes. she popped up um, I was extra excited like oh my god <laughs> I obviously had never seen Shaun of the Dead at this point because I was eight years old and that's an, that's an, that's, that's an inappropriate movie for you to be watching <laughs> Scott you were you were like 11 or something I, I believe that, yeah, I'm sure I, that movie is uh, 18 or 15 yeah. I was uh, 10 and I was up late at night and it was on ITV too as it is all the time and you know I think it was my first ever R-rated movie as well so I really mm. loved Shaun of the Dead and it had Queen I mean come on what a great movie <laughs> uh, the episode continues as the Doctor manages to connect with everybody on Zoom as well um, and it's like that TV show that he makes with Martin um, Sheen Martin yeah, Sheen, Martin Sheen M- Michael yeah. Sheen whatever my, my, Ma- Michael yeah. Sheen Michael, <laughs> my, wh- whatever his name is what's his name Michael Sheen it's Michael isn't it um, yeah Mar- uh, Charlotte Michael Sheen's Michael dad. Sheen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Sheen's dad, Martin Sheen. No, it's uh, Michael Sheen. It's like that show they did, the lockdown one. I, I remember it's called Damn Call. Uh, it's called Staged. And yeah. Um, yes. Uh, basically, in this scene, Donna describes it as an outer space Facebook. Although I don't think Facebook had like the ability to call people at this point, you know, <laughs> and call multiple people. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know. And then, um, outer space. Yeah, <laughs> like, and then, you know, the doctor's like, oh my god, is that Torchwood? And he's, he's reacting to everyone, and Donna is immediately horny for Captain Jack, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> immediately. And in my notes, I accidentally wrote down, Donna horny for Davros. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a bit of a Freudian slip and really you're horny for Davros. I mean, when he takes off his shirt later on. Oh, oh hot under the you got, collar. You get a, real, get a real boner. Bone? A bone? Because he's, he's showing his bones. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Davros decides to join the Zoom call as well. Um... And it's such a goddamn cool 
reveal of Davros properly. Like, uh, his voice, his mannerisms, everyone's reaction to him. Like, Sarah Jane being like, no, but he's dead. And then, like, the doctor just staring at him and, you know, like, it makes him feel like, a, like, this guy's a threat. This is a big deal. Holy crap. Um, and he's, I like, I remember him being terrifying as a kid. He's such a cool looking villain. Oh god, he is incredible. And played by Julian Bleach here, who apparently was spotted on stage and they were like i think it was phil collinson one of the producers he was like oh my god this is like the perfect fit for davros just the voice and the intensity and earlier this year people would be already familiar with him because he played uh, a character in torchwood called the ghost maker and then he played the nightmare man in a few episodes in a a few seasons of sarah jane adventures so he was in every spin-off show in the Russell D. Davis universe. He's only one of two actors who played characters in each spin-off show, which is wild to think about. <laughs> that is wild. That's cool. That's cool. Good for him. Um, but he goes on to explain that the reason the Daleks are back is because he managed to escape whatever killed him in the time war the giant death laser baby i think is what the doctor calls it he's like but the giant death laser baby shot you i saw it mm-hmm. um and and then davros is like nah pal i got away <laughs> uh and and this is also where the doctor's like you can't be out the time war because it's time locked and you know it it, it throws in these it, you know it's these these phrases in Doctor Who yeah. that are meaningless like um the what's the the, the amount of the deadlock the sonic screwdriver, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, actually, the deadlock version eight. Uh, the do- the sonic screwdriver can't get through anymore. Oh yeah, uh, it, it just be- it becomes ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> just techno babble to sound kind of yeah. sci-fi, you know, like the time corridor <laughs> of time eddies, or you know, or <laughs> yeah. so much about in Doctor Who, and also the fact that the Doctor and Davros are communicating through a Discord call again. The last time we saw Davros was the seventh it doctor was on discord yeah. call yeah <laughs> they just love discording yeah. together getting together for a game of fortnite they're just they're just they, yeah they're just good mates they like to hang out but you know they live really far apart so it's easier to just do it uh via call uh but davros explains that he managed to bring the daleks back through using his own flesh and dna mm-hmm. and that each dalek is like made from like a piece of of him and he reveals his chest to be like this skeleton thing when you can see the organs through it which so is cool. a really cool and scary look makes zero fucking sense uh when... <laughs> it, 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 makes, yeah, it makes no sense but for 8 p.m on a saturday night as a kid yeah ooh. <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's terrifying um it's very cool but you know if i was davros and you're in a universe where clones exist Let's just make some clones. Although, I guess you could argue that a cloned Dalek wouldn't be a pure Dalek because it's a copy and not an original. So maybe, you know, the reason that he did it for all each one, because he's like, every Dalek needs to have different, you know, they need to be their own Dalek, uh, their own unique member of the species. Um, yeah, that could be a way you could justify it, you know. Um, well, then I, I guess a clone would be more pure than anything else, you know? Like, if you're cloning a Dalek, it's more pure than, you know, if yeah. clo- trying to get it from Davros, because Davros isn't a Dalek, and so I guess it's less pure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Davros is, like, try is like in, uh, you know coming across as intimidating and scary, and he's like, well, Doctor, what have you got to say? And the Doctor's staring at him, and he's like, Davros, I've only got one thing to say to you. 
bye and then he like slams the thing it's amazing it's so like you think the whole time the doctor's stunned and shocked and really he's like oh this guy is back all right fuck him like, yeah I, I sometimes send that gif of the doctor going bye to you yeah. whenever i end conversations or zoom calls with, or discord calls with you yeah it's great it's it's such a great gif as well wow. it's perfect you know uh but then um Dalek Khan is like, oh, I see everybody dying. This is going to be funny. Um, yeah, you see his, uh, the, the Doctor's truest companion dying. Which yeah. I, I guess technically does happen with Donna. But again, it's more of a um, psychic, mystic kind of bullshit we were describing earlier in the episode. <laughs> where it's like, it, it kind of true, but kind of not true, you know? <laughs> yeah, but but that's that's what you call really great writing is when you cop out of a death because mm. you're like someone's gonna die we're definitely gonna kill someone and then at the end you're like ah i meant metaphorically die <laughs> yeah that's what i yeah. you fell for me <laughs> thinking it was literal but i mean no I, I, no I, tr- I trust russell today Davis did not cop out you know i think i you know especially with this cliffhanger coming up i don't think he's going to cop out of anything that happens <laughs> in this episode <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I certainly wouldn't be annoyed by him copping out at the start of next episode. No way, no how. <laughs> uh, but we cut to, um, you know, everybody getting ready to leave and Captain Jack and stuff grabbing weapons and being like, will you guys be okay? And, you guys, and Yanto's like, oh, we'll be fine. Don't worry. Kisses. And then they make out for five more minutes. Um, we. <laughs> what, yeah, what I love about this scene is the other two tortured members like, I don't think you're coming back because the last time you teleported away was, uh, was in the lead up to Utopia with season three episode of doctor who and you never mm. came back for like six months after that we are left on our own to run torchwood you just disappeared off the face of the planet <laughs> but yeah i i, I get uh, like uh, chibnall loves doing those kind of plots where um someone important to the family disappears for a bit because he did the same thing with doctor who after the space prison arc which also involved uh captain jack <laughs> And then she got a big yeah. push from... You were gone, you yes. were gone for six months! <laughs> I was like, bro, she was in jail for 15 years or something. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's not her fault. It's, yeah, I hate... Well, yeah. we'll get to that, Dalek, absolutely yes. eventually. Yes, man. Ugh. Yes, she whiz. <laughs> she whiz. Uh, but we then cut to Sarah Jane saying goodbye to Luke as well, being like, Luke, I know you've got no belly button, <laughs> but that won't protect you from the Daleks. I need to leave um, and, you know, try and help the mm-hmm. doctor. You stay here. And then Mr. Smith is like, I will protect the boy. It's like, how? You're a fucking wall. Uh, I mean, he's a space <laughs> computer. He could probably, like, uh, put a shield around the house or whatever. So, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, something. I mean, yeah, yeah. this is the part uh, where Luke is kind of looking confused more than concerned for the well-being of his mother yeah he's like huh? what? 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 <laughs> yeah it's uh not the best performance but i guess like maybe he is confused maybe everything is happening so quick maybe he's like i don't understand what's going on like why is why is everyone what's moving around so fast but also he's like boy genius so that doesn't like why is he yeah. not caught onto this yet uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I looked up his age last night. He is fifteen years old in this episode, which is still Jesus. is still at the point where I don't want to criticize his acting too much, you know. 
Well, I mean, like you know, he's on a BBC One program. You can you can criticize his acting. Like you know, it's they they cast him in it, and he's decent. He's not yeah, bad. Yeah, he's, he's good enough. But, yeah, he's good in Sarah Jane yeah. Adventures for what he's given. I think he's given a bit. I think the writing is a bit too complex for him for him to convey those kind of emotions here. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, like even in Sarah Jane Adventures, he's usually like we just covered an episode of Sarah Jane Adventures where he has like no lines for lots of the episode yeah. uh, like, <laughs> uh, but, uh, that everyone's like running away and rose is like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go meet the doctor i'm gonna go find him and we cut to the doctor coming out onto an empty london street and uh you know Oof. he looks around at donna and he's like i've got to go find rose i've got to tell her all this stuff and donna's like well look just turn around you fucking idiot and he turns around and oh my god there's rose and you know they start running and he's running towards her and the street just seems infinitely long uh and it's really quiet considering that you know daleks are invaded wait daleks have invaded and then the doctor gets shot by a dalek and i remember like jumping out my seat as a kid being like oh my god (laughs) like because the doctor just got shot by a dalek uh absolutely terrifying um yeah i was was a kid because i i like i was like oh my christ the doctor's gonna die i legitimately was like this is the end of david because i wasn't following the news or reading up on like any rumors or Mm. stuff really you know so it was just like i would i would get my doctor who magazines and my cards and then like i would watch doctor who episodes and that was it i i wasn't on forums or reading rumors or stuff like that um yeah. so when this happened i was like oh my god the doctor is 100 percent gonna regenerate and boy boy does he <laughs> i can't remember if i saw this leak or not because when they're filming this scene there is like 200 people watching them and filming them on verse uh, on their mm. mobile phones in like 240p <laughs> so maybe i saw some footage from this or not i cannot remember but i think i was still shocked when it first happened because as a kid you're think you're not thinking oh david ten is going to come back in the next episode you're thinking you oh, shit you this get is- sucked into it yeah you get like, sucked into it you don't you don't yeah. think there's gonna be a dalek around the corner but you know if you're watching this i was 10 years old and i watched this if i was like 14 just four years later i think i would have caught on to the fact that maybe there's a dalek or something to stop this reunion <laughs> between these two characters you know so i was again at, yeah. i was at the perfect age for this i think like what like what i said in bad wolf and part in the ways when i was i think i was seven so i was 10 here seven there so yeah i was just at the perfect age for doctor who around here just for this kind of plot twist you know yeah uh i i same you know because i i was like eight years old so i was just obsessed just obsessed with things with this and you know falling in love with sci-fi heavily you Mm -hmm. know like it's just just absolutely amazing um but rose grabs him uh by the arms as he's on the ground she's like no no no, don't die and the doctor's like rose oh uh, oh, rose you're here Uh," as he's like he's like you know dying but it it, kind of just looks like he's he's very (laughs) excited that he's finally like rose is touching him again Um, and also (laughs) captain jack teleports in and destroys the dalek which i feel like yeah I feel like he should use that gun more times in this story, <laughs> you know? Like, more Dalek deaths. It would be really deaths. helpful. It really yeah. would be. There's only, like, two proper Dalek deaths in this episode. <laughs> yeah. 
but they de- they take the doctor back into the TARDIS and uh, Captain Jack is like, get away from him, Rose. You know what's going to happen as we see the doctor's hands start to glow. And Rose is like, oh my God, this can't be happening right now. You can't die, doctor. Um, and slightly before that, we actually, we cut to Torchwood yes. where we see Gwen and Yanto getting ready. And they're like, you know, we're, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. Like um, Owen, and, Owen Tosh, and like Tosh. Which is, yeah. you know... The death of Owen and Tosh just happened in like March or something. That's when Torchwood series two ended. And so to get this reference like six months later, the fact that Doctor Who remembers what just happened on Torchwood blew my mind as a kid and just made that little moment so much more important to me as a kid, you know? The fact that Yeah, do it for Owen and Tosh. Actually, I guess Torchwood was my first R-rated thing I watched as a kid, (laughs) rather than Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) Because Torchwood isn't as... Actually, I guess it is as explicit as Shaun of the Dead, because there's no nudity in Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) Yeah, it's just just blood and gore. Yeah, (laughs) There's not even sex in Shaun of the Dead. There's sex in Torchwood. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Sex Guys, the famous episode we need to cover someday yeah. because that sounds like a fun yeah. time. <laughs> it's insane to think that um, Sex Guys still exists in the same universe as the Origin Adventures. I just. Wild. It's to insane think to think about. the Cyberwoman exists in any universe. <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, as the, the Doctor runs into the TARDIS and he's probably dying, Donna's like, there must be some kind of medicine or something to give him, you know, <laughs> for a man who was just <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give him some cowpaw, it'll be okay. Uh, uh, we also, as the Doctor is dying, we then cut to Sarah Jane, who was just driving her car, aimlessly, yeah. uh, as she, like, turns the corner and bumps into two Daleks on a date. They get really embarrassed, <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, we're gonna kill you now, uh, and then Sarah Jane, like, cross, like, arms cover her face as if she's about to get shot. Daleks then invade the Torchwood base somehow, don't worry about it, even though it's underground, uh, and has a big vault, but they, uh, and then Gwen and, um, Yanto start just firing their guns at the Daleks, which we know is very effective (laughs) in killing a Dalek. We've never seen a billion times that the Daleks have shields, and everyone should know that the Daleks have shields at this point, so what's the point in firing a gun? Get something better. Uh, (laughs) what I love about the gun violence in Doctor Who, in this episode and in part in the ways is... Every time they fire a bullet, their faces jiggle and their arms jiggle. Like, yeah. That's such a great attention to the detail that sometimes gets missed in sci-fi shows because they always resort to, oh, it's a laser gun or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I like the real... It, it, there's some real weight behind this, which I really like. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because usually I think... Um... Doctor Who does an atrocious job with guns. Yeah. Uh, like, whenever a gun shows up, I'm like, that looks fake. That doesn't look <laughs> like a real gun. Like, <laughs> which is a problem that even falls with, in modern Who a lot. I remember the Matt Smith era, the guns mm. look atrocious. Um, but that happens as we then cut to the Doctor who begins to regenerate. He's like, this, oh my god, it's happening. It's happening. And then, boom, he bursts into a giant burst of gold. Uh, like we just saw very recently with Mr. Christopher Eccleston yep. uh, as he's standing with his companion staring at him and then it goes to be continued oh, and as a kid <laughs> oh my god was I going to watch next week's episode yeah and it was Ben Cook's idea to have no trailer just to add a be to be continued it's his suggestion to Russell T. Davis and I think it's perfect because you don't need a next time trailer to be hooked to be continued is just the perfect hook as it is, you know? 
And as a yeah. kid, I was definitely thinking that the next episode would have a new Doctor. I had no idea how Doctor Who was filmed. I because obviously you know nowadays i would know if we'd have been leaked the fact that episode 13 has a new doctor but as a kid i yeah. I, I just had no idea what was going on like the fact that <laughs> i was so excited like i remember going to the park with my school just the monday after this episode aired and i was so hyper about this episode of doctor who i was so excited about what would happen next and i wound up talking to my teacher about it on this walk to the park and she was like oh i've actually i actually know david tennant and my mind was just blown about the fact that you know david tennant <laughs> was a real person you could know <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> You know David Tennant. Now I know. I guess I know two people who knows David Tennant. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 good times. And he and he's explicitly said he never wants to meet you. <laughs> but yeah, just 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 a fact about David Tennant. From both people I know who met David Tennant, thinks that David Tennant is just a lovely person. Is just really great. I love that. <laughs> David Tennant. I want to yeah. meet him so badly. <laughs> I hope yeah, he comes to nice. Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, he probably won't. But be cool if he did. Be cool if he did. Um, but then we get, you know, that's the, that's the end of this episode. And how did you this feel? Has been this has a really, 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 really long review. Um, it has been this cliffhanger. This cliffhanger as a as a child, I loved it. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I have mixed opinions on it. Um, and I think, like, I like this episode. But also, there's like there's a lot of stuff I don't really mm. like in this episode. It's 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 such a weird mix for me, where like I think the episode is really fun, but the story is lacking. Like it's moving so quick, uh, and really, it's like the Daleks take the planet. Yeah. Everyone freaks out. All the companions come back. The Doctor lands. Then he gets shot, and then he regenerates. Um, oh no! It's it's and, certainly a paper thin f- plot, but it really needs to yeah. be a f- paper thin plot to fit this many characters. Yeah, there's so many characters. It. Yeah, um, but you know, it's it's still fun. It's still a fun time. I still have fun with this episode. I I still have fun with the next episode as well, even with the cop out regeneration, because you know, so long has passed that I'm kind of like, I, like it doesn't bother me anymore. It's like whatever. Um, but at the time, especially, you know, we'll probably talk about more next week, but I remember the call about regeneration being like, I was like, Oh, oh, what? And then with the neck, with the Christmas special being called the next doctor, he got me again. I fell for that trap where I was like, Oh, okay. This is, we're going to meet the next doctor. Okay, cool. Uh, that's really cool. What cool idea. And then it's not, and I was like, okay, this is, this is annoying. Um, Yeah. That annoyed me as well as a kid. Like, and we'll talk about that (laughs) soon enough, but yeah, I, yeah, I think this episode is really solid. I, I don't have too many issues with what happens in this episode. It's just fascinating to watch because it's perfectly executed. All these characters shouldn't work, but yet through direction and script writing and editing, everything just fits together. And it's a, it, I think it's a really solid episode. I'm, I'm not too sure about how I feel about the cliffhanger. And I especially yeah. hate how the cliffhanger gets resolved. And a lot of the issues of this story starts next week, in my opinion. Some bits <laughs> fall apart, like, we'll get there. But, you know, as this episode yeah. stands on its own, it's really, really good. It's like 9 out yeah, of 10 Doctor Who, I think. It's, it's, def- it's, 
it's 9 out of 10 Doctor Who if you've watched all the other episodes before it. Mm -hmm. If you were to show this to a stranger, I don't think they'd get it. Um, I think they'd be like, oh, okay. It's like, it's still fun, but this is a lot of people and a lot of characters. Am I supposed to know who all these people are? Um, but I think that's the reward, really. You yes. know, again, it's like that Avengers, that Avengers thing where you, this is, you know, you've watched all the movies. This is your payoff. You know, all your characters are here now. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I was, I was cool. a diehard Doctor Who fan for four years at this point, And just everything yeah. coming together in this episode was just such a great payoff for all of my patients, you know. And he, he never really, I, I, as a kid, I, did, I never really cared if all these characters appeared again but just the fact they did come back and a lot of arcs got a conclusion a perfect conclusion to a lot of these arcs i was just over the moon about what what russell t davis was doing with his version of doctor who here yeah no it was good uh and that i think wraps up this episode yeah uh we will be back next week with the uh journey's end uh as we conclude our look into this two-parter and conclude our look into david tennant until he comes back as the wait he's coming back uh, <laughs> yeah oh my uh, God. and yeah i know crazy I've, I've they've kept it so silent i've not heard anything about <laughs> it. um but <laughs> uh so thank you if you somehow made it to this part of the episode um congratulations you have sat through so much of us talking uh you can find us on youtube at youtube.com slash who watches who pod uh where you can watch this video the podcast in video form and see our faces you can listen to it in audio form on podcast addict spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, amazon music anywhere you get podcasts there's an rss link and everything that you can plug in to your own podcast app of choice if that's how you like to do things you can find us on facebook at who watches who on x.com at watches doctor uh, uh, and you can find my gaming channel at Psychedelic Gaming Hobos. It's a good time. Uh, yeah, and a, a good time then... if you don't watch the Sonic series because Matthew is terrible <laughs> at Sonic and it's just cringe. I'm very good at Sonic. <laughs> I'm very good at Sonic and it's it's very good. I'm the best Sonic player. <laughs> uh, and until then, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.